a playlist original. All right, hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Back to the Blockbuster Presents Deep Dives with Owen and Gaius, episode ten. Wow, episode ten. <laughs> we yeah. have reached the uh, the X factor. A mini, a mini, a mini milestone for the spinoff. The first ten episodes. Yeah, I think we can. I think we can actually hey. finally do the like your five versus my five thing, like the poll to see yeah. like who had. We the can. Better. Yeah, we could finally do that. I and like, there's so many good films mixed in into each one of ours. I honestly don't know who's gonna claim that at all. But who's gonna come out on top? I mean, no, no, no. I, I'm, just wondering, here. I'm wondering to think who too also is is gonna take into effect not just the movies, but also like the specific the conversation episode itself. Like, like, yeah, is, is the conversation true. we had about that movie better than necessarily the movie? Maybe. Like, I mean, right. like, I mean, I'll, I'll take it too. I think your pick for Mr. Brooks was top notch because it sparked one of the best conversations we've had in a while and so like i would i would choose your pick over tucker and dale something like that you know what's funny is i would like be like tucker and dale because it like it shined a light on a movie that no one like a lot of people either forgot about or don't even know and then like i mean we found what we found out too with that one is like the people that do know it really like it (laughs) and we're happy that we showcased it and on honestly too uh, last week's pick you know someone sent us a message basically saying and i don't have it in front of me but i got the gist of it they were like even though prometheus is technically the biggest movie we've picked budget wise i guess scope they were yeah. like you still you still picked an underrated movie so it's still on brand for like what the show is yeah. they were like I, I still think prometheus is pretty underrated in the whole like alien canon basically so we still hey, we're, managed we're to... still we're still killing it. We're still killing it. And the episode did really well. And it wasn't that you picked one that trended, but I will say that it jumped up nine spots on Good Pods on Alien Day, mm. which was pretty yeah. pretty good that we had that episode running. Did I make it for Alien <laughs> Day? No, Alien Day was a thing, but I guess I picked a good one. I, I mentioned that to mentioned that to Jackson yesterday. I was like, I don't think he knows anything about Alien Day, <laughs> like whatsoever. No, but I. Picked it for Alien Day. But yeah, it worked out and it was a really another solid performing episode. So thank you guys again for all the continued support across all our platforms. But, it, you know, especially Good Pods because it is a showcase for indie podcasts and indie podcasters. And not that I'm, you know, I still use Apple and stuff, but I've been actually listening to our show on Good Pods more and listening to other people's shows on Good Pods, especially because you can actually tell, like, when you listen to a, a show, like, their show pops up on your feed for other people to see. So like maybe someone going through your, your whole feed of stuff, will see a new show that they want to listen to and follow. So that's the good thing about good pods. Yeah. You could easily share. I've actually been listening to it on good pods as well. And I nice. think the interface has actually like been, been really good. Like, you know, when you, when you listen to a song on Spotify or something and yep. you kind of want to know like more about that artist, Yeah, uh, you kind of have to hit like two or three different buttons to see like kind of where that person is or something like that yeah. for good pods you immediately just in that page while you're listening to the episode you can just yeah. click on back to the blockbuster and see exactly everything we've done so yeah, it I awesome, mean, it, yeah. it's been a it's been a, it's a really well put together platform and yeah. i think i mean that's it's how i continue to listen to it now spotify take a back seat because good pods <laughs> is it's is, 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 what's up it's my number one <laughs> choice now man yeah and yeah just to give everyone like an update when I was last week, when I looked at one point on the top 100 shows, any category, we peaked at number eight. That was like a new peak for us. We're at 14 right now, but that, I mean, everyone puts out new episodes and stuff every week. So everyone's bound to like flip flop, but 
top 100 shows number eight was our biggest showing ever so far which is good for any Dude, category congrats, congrats uh, to us and today we are still number one on film reviews and number one on tv and film and three of our episodes are in the top 100 episodes so congrats to us and thank you guys for listening on that platform it's really cool and it's actually it's cool to see like where your episodes like I, i've been looking at that list a lot where they start like where they debut on the list like yeah the, yeah you know the sandlot one i think i looked at like a couple of weeks ago when it said it debuted at like 40 out of like how many shows now just to start and then you just kind of watch it like move up and gradually move up as high as it can go yeah but yeah it's cool like we haven't really started at like the bottom which is like really cool i, I mean there's yeah. a lot of in- interest out of the gate which i think is kind of nice dude i mean i'll tell you this i mean remember when i first when we started this deep dive and i said hey we're getting back to number one well, we are yeah. <laughs> And <laughs> um, hey, now we're now we're here, but but it's all it's all about the fact that I think that we're bringing relevant content that I think people actually want to listen to, and so yeah. it has nothing to do with we're we're trying to get to the top of the ratings just for rating sake. No, uh, no, 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 not at all. It's it's that. nice to see. It's like an added it's, it's an added just, bonus. <laughs> Rankings but, are fun to see. Rankings are fun no matter what. You can always see kind of like where where you sit. And I mean, that's why sports are ranked. That's why movies are ranked. That's why yeah. there's award shows. So it's like, it's, it is fun to see. It, it is fun to see like specific spots where, where we're doing well. And it just gives us more motivation to continue to create the stuff that we're creating. So yeah. And honestly, and also surrounded by other podcasts that like I personally you listen to and like kind of look up to the people that have been doing it like we, we're right around there with oh antonio from like the cult worthy podcast the so wizard podcast who has never taken so the podcast is and 400 that's, that's my peak right there, is the so wizard podcast 457 episodes with no breaks since they've started so i god that is crazy should, just to be like them on for uh we should get them on for we for, really uh, should like any episode really like they're yeah i mean i remember we had jake on like a long time ago when we did the 25th a anniversary for scream yeah, yeah. Just... yeah that'd be good i mean it's to be surrounded around that group of people because like those were some of the first people i actually interacted with on twitter and everything when we started it and some of them were yeah i, I, I would love to, to see groups. antonio again i would love yeah. to see antonio again from the um his podcast i'd love to see jake from so wizard i mean they're just consistently doing great things and and it's literally we're trying to emulate and yeah yeah, just like we would love to see them on here again, and maybe I mean we've only done ten. That's that's the only downside <laughs> about this is that every other week we're like we should have this person on, we should have this person on, and it but still feels too new. Wanna, like <laughs> we want to keep the integrity of the show, but we're like yeah. we just we want people to join us. So I know, like uh, I know we want I know we want Jackson on, and I mean that would make sense for him to be on. And I was actually thinking about it. I was like, hey, do we? Do we let him jump on one of our deep dives, like if one something you pick or I pick, or do we let him pick it for us because he's a guest? Ooh, a Jackson like how, deep dive. Like, yeah, like like is that how we go about bringing him on for an episode, or we just like I like that idea actually. A might lot. be the best what best thing for us to do. He really wants to do it. You know, he gets like taste of it by doing the anniversary episodes because those are all just focused yeah. on one movie, and he really likes. And I, doing I can that. tell even even just from listening to it, I can tell he loves it. I can like yeah. the Spring Breakers episode, which is one of our most popular shows recently. Yeah, uh, I can just I mean that I can even just tell he was super into uh, to explaining that. So I think yeah. that if we have Jackson on, it should be a Jackson specific. He picks the movie and then we deep dive that. All right. Well, you heard it here because you're going to listen to this Jackson. He's actually really excited about this episode. I told him what we were covering. And he, he was like, that's, that's a good one for people to like, 
you know get familiar with again because i feel like it isn't as popular as it should be and i when we talk about it i will yeah i agree with him that still good still very good but it seems like it's not discussed with like this director's other like big more expansive discography filmography filmography yeah yeah so you know what normally we don't talk news on this show but i wanted to update you guys update you guys on a little bit about the writer's strike because we brought it up last week on the main show and we said we would give you an update on you know if they decided to strike or not and by the time we recorded yesterday's episode they hadn't made a decision yet officially but as soon as we logged off they made the decision to officially strike at 12.01 a.m on tuesday that's today the day that we were recording this particular episode and no one really wants i mean everyone is support of support of the writers and getting fair compensation and getting what they deserve from studios and streamers and networks but no one really wants this because it's a huge detriment to the industry uh to not have things in production and not have people writing actively for projects that are in production it's been 15 years since we had our last one i can remember the 2007 2008 uh one it was 100 days not the longest one though the longest one was in 1988 that's regardless that's the longest so long so long fucking time the 1988 was the longest i think at 144 and Honestly, dude, if you were to go back and watch, this is like TV specific. If you go back and watch Friday Night Lights, Prison Break, Lost, Heroes, and go to those seasons when the writer's strike happened, you can tell in the quality where the writer's strike occurred because everyone was trying to rush like stuff out before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, down. Yeah. They want, yeah, it goes down. And you can tell because like they want to get content out there in time to produce it. Because like once the strike happens, you can it's like pencils down. You can no longer write. You can't negotiate deals. You can't do anything. So, if fans of those shows know, you can tell specifically when those shows like start to dip, and then they get a little better once the strike is over. But it's not going to be good for the industry uh, at all. And kind of give you a little bit about what this kind of is. Um, the WGA basically in. They're trying. They're they're the crux of what they're saying is that in this kind of streaming era, that like new era of like viewing things now, because you know with like network TV, you yeah. can have like syndication deals, and then that's how you got a lot of like residuals and stuff like that. And, you know, DVD sales, different ways for writers to make money because of the way things are now, and there's less emphasis on. And this is like talking specifically about television, but this is a big part of it. Yeah. And the streaming part goes in the movies as well there aren't a lot of fair deals when it comes to compensation on residuals when it comes to streaming because the studios and networks and streaming platforms are saying well there's no real we we are still it's it's still a new business model and we're still trying to figure out what how much profit we're getting and how much we and it's not and that's what they there and they keep pointing that out too because what the writers guild is saying is we can see how much you're generating as a network as a streamer as a studio and we can see how much you're spending on content like billions of dollars on content why can't they get a fair compensation for the work that they're providing because without them as you can tell when when they go on strike there's no product to be put out there at all and exactly they were they want their fair share of you know the pie basically and they feel like they're not getting it and yeah i completely agree with that you know this gets brought up a lot with you even hear this sometimes with like actors with like the screen actors guild when it comes to 
a back end on streaming versus a back end on theatrical. It's like the money is just different. And yep. like, I, and I also, I'm glad that you picked up on the fact that, yeah, it, they might be trying to like fool them be like, oh, this is a new business model. We don't really know what the game of success of, is. Yeah, there's there's a lot of excuses you can throw <laughs> out there. It, but it's like, a lot of bullshit. Like, a lot of bullshit like, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of bullshit you can say. I mean, the main thing that I'm thinking about right here now is that you said the last one was in 2007, 2008. And um, I'm wondering now, and this is a question for you as well, is that as the entertainment industry continues to develop and continues to be dynamic in in what is popular what is the most popular form of content and, and how people are ingesting this kind of stuff right um do you think that it's going to take a strike consistently every decade or so in order to, to it kind feels of get this like, thing because i mean, I mean at this point it's, it's kind of come down to the fact where it's like the entertainment industry is is significantly skewed where we see people making we can also even get into the terms of like men versus women and how much they're getting paid but it's yeah. like i mean this comes from like 0.5% of people making tens of millions if not hundreds of millions of dollars and then the people who are actually creating the content and writing what's being successful making yeah. minimal minimal like if not nothing and so right. like do we do we do you think that this is going to be a consistent thing where as we see the development of the industry that we're just going to have to keep seeing a strike i mean I, at this uh, point like they have to kind of put their foot down and they say like hey i'm, I'm not okay being paid 50 grand a year to write the jimmy fallon show that's being so successful like right. what's that makes no sense to me. And so, like, what do you think about that? And and what do you think is going to change after the strike? And do you think I, it's going to be as long? Well, I would hope they would learn and this would have to happen every 10 or 15, even 15 years. Like, my train of thought is, like, you can already see the changing landscape when it comes to streaming and, you know, theatrical and, like, whether people are watching TV live, all this stuff. Like, you see all that changing already. So it seems like the deals you should be making with writers are should evolve with that change. And like it seems like they're just still trying to be stuck in a period, you know, that was long before this one. And I'm sorry, I mean, I don't believe them when they say like we don't it's a, it feels like a brand new business model and we don't really know how to gauge the level of financial success. Like apparently you can because Bullshit. you're a puppet you're pumping out all that money on content. You're spending money on it and you're making money because like you can see how much a studio is making and when netflix and all these other companies have their their quarterly calls like with deadline and everything they might report some losses but they also report a lot of gains so like there's money you just don't want to give the writers what they feel like they deserve and like one of the yeah. things that they said they said the survival of writing as profession is at stake in this negotiation it says driven in large part by the shift to streaming writers are finding their work devalued in every part of the business while company profits have remained high and spending on content has grown writers are falling completely behind the company have used the transition to streaming to cut writer pay and separate writing from production worsening working conditions for series writers at all levels yeah and I mean, I'll, I'll put it into perspective like this. It's like, when I think of, like, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of the writer's strike is something like Saturday Night Live, where you have these successful, successful people that started as writers. Right. But at the end of the day, did they become famous because they were writers, or did they become famous because they became on-screen attraction? Like, Tina Fey 
Seth Meyers, John Mulaney, like all of these creators who in and of itself, like they were writers for SNL to start, but if they had not become visual actors and presenters and entertainers, would they have the same success as they do today? And would they be getting paid the same? So, So I think that like, that's the way that I kind of think about it, where it's like, you have these wildly successful people and wildly hilarious, especially in the comedy realm. Right. And and probably the drama realm too. I mean, I mean, mostly talk shows where it's like Jimmy Fallon and goddamn James Corden. I, like they don't write fucking shit. Like they I don't do keep, anything. I love that you keep and, bringing Jimmy Fallon up because like he got he got roasted today. Yeah, uh, because of like, this. And, he, I, and that's why I kind of keep bringing it up. Yeah, he but, got like, I mean, like it's he, awful. <laughs> like don't like, like don't these, show these, like these it's people. it's cool to show support like. If it's genuine, like, hey, I, I, you know, Jimmy Fallon, Nick, you're nothing without your writers, probably. It's probably a whole team that writes for you. And I love that nothing. that girl, the girl who actually isn't a writer, she is a senior photo coordinator on The Tonight Show. She went on Twitter and retweeted his comment to Variety about how he supports the writers. And she was like, and she didn't she didn't type his name in. She she added him, so he, he gets the notification. So she was like, at Jimmy Fallon, you weren't even at the meeting of the day where they told us that, like, we weren't going to get paid after this week. And not only that, we're not going to get paid after this week, but we're going to lose our health insurance after this week as for as long as the strike goes on. So the strike also doesn't affect just writers. So when there's nothing in production, that's the most fucked up part about it, right? When there's nothing in production, that means there's no catering. There's no grips. There's nothing like they don't make any money because there's nothing in production right now. Health insurance is the biggest part too. Like, like the perks, like that's why people get jobs so that they can have benefits. Exactly. to someone who's creating the show that people love to, to give Jimmy Fallon a script that people think is somewhat funny that he can fake laugh at. Yeah. Yeah. That makes no sense to me. Why, yeah. why he, he's the one getting paid the big bucks. I mean, because he's the visual. And they're, I mean, fe- and they're feeding him the words. To, yeah. I mean, it comes you're- back to the like radio killed the video star. It's like, if you're a good looking and entertaining person, then you can make the big money. Whereas the person who's actually writing the content, you just get kind of shunned to the side, you know? And that's how they kind of feel. And, you know, this is a good example of why they think, you know, they, they want to see more gains in compensation and residuals, and they want curbs on mini rooms and mini rooms are where groups of writers work in advance of the production of a television series to break stories and write scripts. The guild has argued that the producers are well able to compensate writers more fairly. If you want them to break early and have these like writer room where they, they're they're there before everyone else getting all these stories it's out. Crucial. It's crucial. It's crucial, right? And then you're gonna see why it's crucial because if this doesn't get resolved soon, you're not gonna have a fall TV season, at least not when you expect to have it, because no one can write yet. Like the Abbott Elementary people, their writers' room was supposed to start today and they're not going. So they're getting ready to, you know, while the actors are on hiatus right now, they are supposed to write all the way up until like August when everyone comes back. And now you have all these scripts ready to like film and then you're able to premiere in like September, like a normal fall premiere for a TV show. If they can't write yeah. for a hundred days, if it lasts this long, then you're pushing all this stuff back. And of course, then no one's working as well too. You know, I hope it doesn't last a hundred days, but it seems like I was looking on Twitter and like one guy says that he had some insider source that said that some studios or networks think they can ride this out until July. And I was like, that's fucked up. <laughs> and they think it might even ride out until September. And that will really affect the TV landscape more than movies. I mean, movies will still be affected. And I can explain that in a little bit too. But 
they also said this too, like the entertainment segments of the industry's major companies, Netflix, Paramount, Warner Brothers, Discovery, Fox, Disney, and Combat, uh, Comcast, NBC Universal posted an average $29 billion in annual operating income between 2017 and 2021. They are just wondering why can't that money be rationed out more fairly to the people. What are those writers content? getting paid? I'm guessing those writers are making 50 grand a year. That's what it feels like. That's what it feels like. Unless you're like a top tier, I guess, maybe writer for like a TV show or, or for movies. Like, you know, I guess I'm, you know, this is and a better then, example. What are you working? You're, you're probably working what? 80 that's hours true. a week? Yeah. That's, I mean, it's crazy. And they also want to establish some sort of policy on AI and author, authorship, especially if a writer's idea are used as the basis for AI generated work. And they also wow, want to that's actually a very, <laughs> very interesting topic where, where it's like, hey, yeah. I have an IP that can be entered into chat GPT. Yep. That's still technically my idea. Wow, yep. that's that's fucking crazy to think about, uh, about uh, intellectual property rights. Yeah, and they said the WGA's proposal to regulate use of the material produced using artificial intelligence or similar technologies ensures the companies can't use AI to undermine writers working standards including compensation residuals separated rights and credits everything they want is fair i mean i i mean everything that yeah. they could possibly want is fair now if you're wondering it's how this will power exactly if you're wondering how this will affect uh your viewing habits you're already seeing it with the late night shows they're all they've all gone dark as of today they're not they've already you like network tv get ready <laughs> you're screwed they're, they've already pivoted to reruns. They already had guests lined up for the next two weeks because their you know, guests are promoting their movies that are coming out. Now they won't be able to do that. So they are all dark. So Jimmy Kimmel Live, The Tonight Show, Colbert, all those are dark right now. The Daily Show, any other the weekly ones like Real Time with Bill Maher, also dark at the moment. Saturday Night Live also announced they're going dark as of today. They had like a special episode where Pete Davidson was supposed to host, but that is canceled now because they can't do it. If you're a fan of daytime TV, mainly soap operas, I know that's not a lot of our listeners, but you're lucky in the sense that soap operas film so far ahead that they have like four to eight weeks of like what we're actually seeing on the screen. They're ahead. Those that people far. are working round. <laughs> the clock. They're clock. Yeah. No, those people are working. So in a perfect world, stop, man. In the perfect world, strike won't last that long and it won't really affect soap writing. Soap uh, but if it's but if like, it does, like, we got 18 weeks of content here. Like, it's good. But if it does go too long, then that will affect your daytime TV because they won't. You can't write. The last time that this happened for soaps, some of them use scab writers, and scab writers are writers that decide to cross the picket line and write anyway. Uh, and that doesn't really get you a lot of respect from the people in the guild. So, I mean, I totally understand that. Yeah. How it affects movies. Uh, Everything that's on the release schedule up until towards the end of the year is probably good. Now, if something released at the end of the year is is finished, but they screen it and they want to like have a rewrite, they can't do that. Or uh, any AD, they can't do any day, anything like anything at all. So it could affect some releases towards the end of the year. If it goes on too long, it could affect releases in early 2024 that that have release dates already, but are, they were either in the middle of shooting or they haven't started shooting yet. So. Those release dates can I'll get. That, I I think that this one, like this one, feels it. It has the sense to me that it's such a sort of like, you know, when something kind of starts very very gradually and, right. and it doesn't seem like it's a big deal until it really starts to starts to pop off. Right. I have a sense right. that this is going to be a very serious negotiation. Like th this is going to be a gritty and very real 
um, negotiation between networks and the guild because yep. I can see that like the guild and like their their proposals, which are insanely and re like they should, reasonable. they're reasonable. <laughs> yeah, they're reasonable for what they should expect. But I think that what these studios and what everything else is expecting is that they can do it for cheaper, and they 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 believe that they can, especially with the the use of AI and the use of scab writers. So yeah. I, I can see this this strike being significantly more impactful and longer, especially since it's been decade like a decade and a half since the last one. The last one. I can see this. I can see this one being very serious. And I think especially so too. with like streaming services and like, I mean, it's going to come down to negotiation tactics works. Like we need to see the release of viewership per show and yeah. how much these things are doing so yeah. that we can receive compensation for my writing. So it's right. like, there's going to be a whole lot of, whole lot of data that is going to be need to be released that hasn't been released yet. That is going to be need to made public in order for these writers to get paid. So yeah. I, I can see this being, I mean, I just, just a, a throw it out there. This, this is going to be a long, long negotiation. And I'd be, I would be surprised if it's not more than a hundred days. Yeah. I, I, I hate, I hate the, more, more than I hate months. The... I'm thinking it's going to be, this is going to be a Christmas present for the guild when they get their, when they get their actual comeuppance. Yeah. I, um, I hate agree with in a perfect world. I wanted to end sooner. That date that that guy gave where he said July, but he said also September sounds no. more realistic. It's going it, to like, uh, be a holiday. Holidays. And I, it's crazy that like, and you know what's even more crazy is Hollywood just went through a shutdown with COVID. They already dealt with this for well over a year and they're dealing, now they have to deal with it again. Like now that things have finally gotten back to normal and they, productions are back to normal and everything's like, everything's copacetic as far as like getting content out there. Now we're back to where we were like 2020, where everything had to shut down again. And, you know, people already felt that kind of loss in the industry when that happened. Like so many people like, you know, lost major income from it. Uh, it didn't really affect yeah. like act actors in that. I mean, not big actors and stuff like that. Well, this so isn't much. about actors, That's the but, thing. but That's it's all, thing. but it's, it's, not about but it's like, right. Yeah. It's writers. And also with like a writer, you're getting paid per gig almost unless you're like a staff writer and that's what another thing that they said too they were saying the company's behavior has created a gig economy inside a union workforce and their immovable stance in this negotiation has betrayed a commitment to further devaluing the profession of writing from their refusal to guarantee any level of weekly employment in episodic television to the creation of a day rate in comedy variety to their stonewalling on free work for screenwriters and on AI for all writers. They have closed the door on their labor force and opened the door to writing as an entirely freelance position. No such deal could ever be contemplated by this membership. Yeah. I mean, wow. they, I feel like it really, it seems like what they're saying, it's almost like they are, they have turned into like, I'm going to play, pay you per, you know, rather than per you being like, rather than you being like a, like a staff person on this, like writing team. Yeah. It's one. Well, and then that takes into a debate, like the benefits and everything too. So yeah, it's like if you're, if you're working freelance, like you're, you're having to pay for all, all of the extra stuff, health insurance and yeah. stuff like that. So, so like that, that's, that's a big thing for me, but at the end of the day, I mean, I, I can see this being, this is going to be a ruthless negotiation. I yeah. really think it is. Yeah. I, I was like, I, I was trying I, to be I, so optimistic too. I think it should be too. It should be a quick fix for sure. I think it I should mean, be. Because, because it comes down to the fact where it's like, 
when you really break down all of these, all of this content that we are enjoying and that we expect, you know what happens when we see a movie that we hate or we see a show that sucks? The writing's bad. The yeah, writing's the bad. First thing is first thing you say. Yeah. So it's like, so it's like, why the fuck would wouldn't we pay our writers more to have them happy to make something that's better? And yeah. when when they're getting paid, I mean, I'm not saying that writers should be making 200 grand a year. I'm not saying that they're not surgeons. <laughs> they're not saving lives. Yeah. But, but, at the, but at the end of the day, like they should be getting compensated for the same amount of stuff that that they're creating. And and if their show is making, I don't know. 100 million views like writers of breaking bad should be rich they should be yeah that's uh, what, it's that... not brian Cran like brian cranston yes he he's he's the catalyst and he makes that thing work but yeah. without the writers his performance doesn't translate so yeah. so it comes down to the fact where like you need these people in order to create the content that people are dying to sit on the couch and watch yeah. so i mean like they need to be compensated for this kind of stuff and they need to be treated well because but I mean, I think that now it's it sounds like a Black Mirror episode where we're talking about the like, are we really about to start to like diversify our writing portfolio into AI versus non-AI? AI, AI, like, do you crazy. have to say like this was written by Chat GPT? Like, <laughs> would you still enjoy it? Probably, probably. But like, like, do you pay someone like that? Like, it's going to become yeah. an entirely different landscape of of writing and also of compensation so i i really think this is going to be a very serious negotiation tactic and also understanding of like i think i think the strike is is starting with like two or three main points but it's yeah. going to bring up an insane amount of things that actually do matter that are going to take a lot more time to develop and so yeah. I, I i can see this lasting for a while I can too. And like, like you said, I agree that yes, writers are not saving lives. They are not surgeons, but I will say this. If I'm, if I'm writing something, if I'm writing your show or your movie and it not generates a ton of revenue, I should be compensated fairly for what I contributed to Agreed. that generating the type of revenue, like, you know, for you to tote and brag about how like, oh, this was like our most viewed show of the week, or like we made so much money on this. And you see that a lot in the trades, like there's a lot of bragging when stuff is successful. But if I'm sitting there like, all right, well, what did I really get for creating it? Like, you know, other, you mean, yeah, I get the bragging rights of my names and the credits. Like I can show all my friends like written by so-and-so and that is great. Uh, but I should also be given a fair amount of like what that revenue is. And I think that's what bothers them the most is that there's all these like studio heads and like CEOs and stuff who are rich, who are telling them that like, oh, there's nothing really we can do for you, you know, right now. There's no, there's no wiggle room. <laughs> yeah. The budget's, yeah. the budget's capped out. Oh, yeah, Sorry, so, bro. No, dude. No, we don't believe you. I'm not dumb. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be an ongoing thing. I think it is going to be a long one. Uh, I would hope it wouldn't be. They definitely started the picket lines today. They were picketing outside of Paramount, Sony, Netflix offices as well. That's going to be going on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. But more power, more power to them. I think I stand with what they want. It's not unreasonable to me. And I Listen, hopefully, I, hope for everyone out there, I stand with writers. I'm, I'm there for them. I think their creative process and their ability to generate actually not just content but the entire amount of content that we consume yeah. is paramount and it's, and it's crucial to to what i enjoy and it partakes to everything that i sit down when i'm ready to watch something and i want to want i mean we talk 
we talk all the time about was the dialogue good how was the script how was the writing and so like like how could i not care about this so i want writers to be compensated well i want them to be i want them to to find this happy medium of like wanting to the thing that strikes to me always kind of come to is like after this is there still some sort of um like a little bit of anxiety or anger like resentment afterwards after the all strike right. is over where it's like yeah all right it's, it's like all right so like we gave in so now do your fucking job so, so it's, yeah it's, i wonder it's, if it's, like it's like what happens after that it's like do you still have some resentment towards it or like, like how does that kind of work because that's the hard part about unions and we can get into all that kind of business stuff in a different podcast if you want yeah, to start sure. some sort of union podcast <laughs> but 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 at the end of the day, like I really hope that the that this negotiation comes down to uh, them just being compensated well for it, especially with I, I do believe I mean we've talked countless times about why aren't these numbers being released about viewership and how much still, money it actually makes. Yeah, it's crazy. And it yeah. still it still it still doesn't make sense. So I hope hopefully that becomes public and that will lead to the payment of these workers who are doing countless hours of work for yeah. uh, shows that we love so that that's what i hope yeah and i yeah, a little transparency would be would go a long way because i think it was last week where apple tv was like oh like ghosted was like our biggest like movie launch like ever it's the movie with like chris evans and and adarmus and i was like all right what does that mean though like you're not providing like hard numbers and the only there's only like third party things that can actually those numbers but they don't even get the full amount they can get it can generate a certain amount of numbers depending on what kind of smart tv you have so like you can boast about like how big the premiere was but if there's no like hard numbers behind it like what does that mean i still don't know i still to this day don't understand the also is, is it like success. Spotify where like a view counts as 30 seconds of viewership like yeah th- I, does does a watch for them mean you turned it on for 10 minutes and then turn it off yeah like, does, does that count that, and that, that really that should <laughs> I watched it for it 30 should, seconds. Yeah, that, I, that should be a minus one. That should be a yeah, minus one. For exactly. I didn't even finish. It means like they hated it. They're like, I'm done with this. This is bad. Well, you know, I wanted to get a little bit of it out there because we brought it up last week. And, you know, we'll update you on the other show with Jackson as well. If there's any development in it. I, I agree with hey, that man, one, though. You're, I, just, I feel like... you're bringing out my um, you're bringing out my, uh, my pop culture side now. Like, <laughs> this, this is, you're about to make me up. Uh, Make an appearance on the regular show. I know, like, no, we gotta talk about this some more. <laughs> I need an update. I need an update. So honestly, actually, if you guys are recording next Monday, yeah. um, I'd love to be a part of it to kind of continue sure. the actors, you know, the writer's yeah. guild strike. Because I think it's gonna, I think there's gonna be more of that stuff that comes out of it. I know there was a writer that actually was speaking on CNN about uh, their Warner Brothers like CEO on CNN about how you know, this person makes this amount of dollars a year. And all we want as writers is like just a little bit of that piece. It's not even like, we're not asking for much. And it was just crazy, you know, to have this guy be on CNN and like talking about, you know, a Warner Brothers CEO there. Like there are a lot of people talking very publicly about the people that pay them and, you know, provide, you know, that they work for. But I also commend them for doing that because they can't stay quiet. They're striking for a reason. And you know, it really does feel like this kind of like David versus Goliath, like the little guy versus like all these big companies that don't want to bend for them. And it's just really, it's bizarre to me that like people in these positions are, for lack of a better word, just feel selfish that you don't want to give yeah. any people like what they need to 
pump out the content I mean, that you want to promote? <laughs> we're generating a a very a very tough question that is at the heart and center of capitalism. <laughs> there which we is are. Why are why is the top making so much and the little people making not as much? Not, yeah. So it's like if we really want to change this, we got we got a long way to go. But I really do think that that writers in general. And and it's crazy to think that the people that are actually creating the content, writing the words that are being dictated, written, and spoken on certain shows are the ones that are being the the least compensated, which which, which is crazy to me, especially when like they're the ones who are basically making what the show is or not. So at the end of the day, in, in any other industry, if the person who was making the key decisions and making sure that those were the ones that people benefited from in medical the person with the scalpel. Yes, yeah. they make the most money in entertainment. It's the person who writes the words. Shouldn't they be making the most they money? Yeah, but should be. But who knows? Who knows? I think that they deserve an equal share, if not the lion's share. But we'll see where it goes. And and I wish that there was more that I could do to yell at yeah. warner brothers if, if we haven't yelled at warner brothers enough, <laughs> <laughs> which is, i also we, we i also heard rumors swirling that netflix was another one of these platforms that would be ex- that, that's being just extremely like, or being ex- extremely unfair when it came to negotiating well i mean Nef- netflix i'm not, not surprised shows that have been successful and they're like yeah it's not you know, good enough they like, made well, lie. i will never forget that yeah. they said like we've never canceled a show that that was like successful and i was like really i mean i feel like you guys will tell us what's successful i mean you do but you don't <laughs> so how are we supposed to know if like you decide to cancel after one season didn't work you don't provide numbers you don't like tell us anything at least with like the nielsen ratings i can see that only two million people are watching it and like all right that's why i got canceled like okay i will sense. say though like speaking of, speaking of netflix coming back i'm like kind of bringing it around to the show like black mirror is coming out with a new season Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I heard, which, which, like, hopefully they've written it by now, and you should be paid for the writing that you've done for the new Black Mirror yeah, episode. I'm assuming, I'm assuming that's all I think it's in the film, can. Too. I, mean, I think it's Aaron all the, I think it's on the can. Yeah, I think that's all in the can. Uh, Jackson was very concerned about House of the Dragon season two. It will continue to film because all their scripts were done before strike. So, Jackson, you will get your House of the Dragon, no delays. Because I, I mean, I guess that's not coming out to like next year anyway. Jackson, but, no, but nothing. If there's, if it was going to be affected by the strike, you're going to be waiting like even longer for that show to come back. You're going to be um, waiting three fucking years, man. I know <laughs> the last season, of, the last season of Cobra Kai had to stop writing because they were in, they were in their writers' room. So there yeah, are some. We can push that. There's a bit. Hey, hey, Cobra Kai's good, man. <laughs> uh, yo, that's when you can probably tell like the age difference. Because I'm like, yo, Cobra Kai, the Karate Kid, grew up with that. And, and I'm like, like oh, nah, whatever, I'm whatever. Good. Um, all right <laughs> well uh moving on a little bit we, before we get to uh, the you know what the show is actually about today we are doing a little promo swap with another podcast called bev's video kingdom and they are a roundtable style podcast of four small town close friends who are movie lovers but not cinephiles so kind of like like more like your angle Sounds like, like just a re- regular dude who likes movies they release a new episode every Tuesday, and they have just gone over 100 episodes so far. So we are creeping up like right behind oh, them. So, nice. So one week they discuss a movie. They cover mostly mainstream movies from almost all genres. And then the next week they do a fancy football draft of a movie-related category. So, for example, like most memorable movie stoner. 
and their content is certainly that. i like it too actually that sounds fun their content is certainly adult with plenty of foul language and sexual references but i will let you listen to what these guys have to offer for yourself so without further ado here is the bev's video kingdom bev's video kingdom because the movies won't talk about themselves so andy crawls through this river of shit he comes out visits a dozen banks and no one's like I'm a little concerned about the guy in the suit. Right. It smells like shit. You mean, you mean the guy that literally washed himself in a river full of shit and is supposed to suddenly smell good? Dude, that's completely the mall rat stink palm, which takes like three or four days to wash that. Oh, last time I scratched my ass, it smelled like Bigfoot's dick for a week. Bev's Video Kingdom. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. What's up? So now that... Uh... We've gone through uh, oh, the first part. I mean, <laughs> Be- Bev's, Ki- Bev's Video Kingdom sounds amazing. I think that, I mean, that's a show that I would love to listen to. I mean, it's, I hate to say that, like, one of the things in my work that we like to say is shamelessly steal from people. But yeah. we're not going to shamelessly steal from there because they, they have a fantastic platform and, and what yeah. they're doing there. But at the same time, like, they are big movie files even if they're not cinephiles or anything like that but casual moviegoers we love to hear that and yeah definitely tune into them and uh we can't wait to talk about what we have to talk about this too is, wow wow can you imagine two which is your pick right which it is, is my pick, pick finally i was just i was thinking about when we were talking about the best video can you can you imagine running a weekly show with four people every week like everyone has to everyone has to be oh on like God. i mean it's i guess just, the, it's just you and i and still we I were know. like hey can we have a day can we do this can we do that i know you're like i can't i haven't watched the movie yet like can we do it tomorrow like yeah and then when they, Dude, and then okay. we try to get so, so to to get all three of us out there i i had a busy weekend and i was like hey i need to watch this movie by monday and yeah. by monday i had a really busy work day i was planning on watching it in like right like, my favorite thing to do is watch it right before the podcast so it's fresh and easy in my mind yeah and i didn't have time for it so i unfortunately had to push it back a day so that it is fresh in my mind i watched it last night and nice. now it is ready to go well, well, and you want to yeah, yeah. You talk. i mean this, so it's, this, so it's finally my pick. It's probably fitting that you watch it before bed. So hopefully you got some sleep since that's like the main thing that's going that's going on in this movie. Um, but I picked Insomnia from 2002. It's a psychological thriller directed by Christopher Nolan and written by Hilary Seats. It's a remake of a 1997 Norwegian film of the same name. I have never seen it. I'm just going to put that out there already. And the whole time that I have like loved this movie, I've wanted to seek it out. I know Stellan Skarsgård is uh, in the role that... Al Pacino plays Insomnia, but I haven't seen it. So I'm only, I can only compare, I can only like look at this remake, judging it in that way. But the film stars Al Pacino, Robin Williams, Hilary Swank, Mara Turney, Martin Donovan, Nikki Cat, and Paul Dooley in supporting roles. And the film begins with two Los Angeles homicide detectives investigating a murder in Night Mute, Alaska. After the killer witnesses in an accident done by one of the detectives, they create a plan for both parties to mutually avoid prosecution. This movie was released on May 24th, 2002. Grossed $113 million worldwide against a production budget of $46 million. Did receive wide critical praise. That is a pretty decent box office total, but I think we mentioned one thirteen is saying something like I mean, yeah for an adult for I had never seen this summer yeah I had never heard of this summer I had never seen it before you uh, told me about it and 
113 is is impressive. Actually, yeah, I, I th- I'll give it 114. 114. Like that that's that's a pretty significant box office. Yeah, I think it's it's good for I mean this was released on in May on May 24, 2002. That was a crowded summer in general. But an adult thriller in the middle of the summer from a director who only had directed I mean he directed Memento and the following before this. They were critically acclaimed but they were not box office hits. This is officially Christopher Nolan's this was his biggest movie as far as like the level of stars he was working with at the time by the time he directed this. Uh, and I was and he's, he's done, done nothing since. He's done yeah, nothing yeah, he, since. Yeah, he, fell, he like... fell, off, fell off after 2002. <laughs> <Fell> off. Uh, <laughs> no, we were mentioning when we revealing who the director was, you know, in the grand filmography of Christopher Nolan, I this is a, I think, a great, solid movie. But he's done, after this, he went on to do big things, like really big movies. And I yeah. think that this one got lost in the shuffle because it is a bit smaller. But yeah. It, but it does kind of have some signature Nolan visual stuff in it that you can maybe recognize if you like his work. But this I'm is definitely to hear what you have to say about that because I, okay. I have some few points on that too. Nice. Um, but like when I when I first so I I had never seen this movie before. So first nice. of all, thank you for for introducing me to. I had to make I had to make up new, on the thriller front a new a new, <laughs> a new movie that uh, that I hadn't seen before. And I mean, this one definitely like when I first as i was watching it it had and it, and it sounds weird to say it was it felt like rookie christopher nolan does that make sense oh, okay so i felt like where it's, like, it's, you feel like you were watching it, his like it, humble it, beginnings it felt, it felt like it really felt like he was finding his own and what okay. he thought was going to be a good production and i could okay. also tell that there were some certain aspects of it where he probably wanted something different that i've yeah. seen in other movies that he would not like he'll he'll go back to this movie and be like oh my god i can't believe i conceded on that or or something like that okay. uh, but, but i mean i thought that this this movie was was fantastic in the sense that it really had a great psychological draw al pacino is al pacino he's a, he's al pacino I'll leave, it, I'll leave it at that i mean he's he's, he's, good, he's very good but he's, he's very al pacino there's a lot of yelling it's al pacino man it's pacino when you when you when you sign al pacino you know what you're getting i think hillary swank was a little underutilized um i, can tell you I think that. that she did a i think she did a great job but her role was more it's underwritten not even secondary it wasn't even secondary it was a little bit more tertiary and uh robin williams did a fantastic job but there there were some aspects of the movie that i felt were a little bit it 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 kind of came to the fact where i was having to to kind of deal with all of these emotions and realizations and situations in time with the characters which which i thought right. was great yeah. where it's like oh my god like like I think that was the most important thing where you kind of come to a situation where you can't turn back from it. So you're either you're either going to be all in and trying to hide the fact that you did something yeah. or you're going to confess and come and come clean and face the consequences. Yeah. So, I mean, I had no no qualms with the fact that Pacino was like, hey, I'm going to cover for myself because I've done it in the past. Yeah. And. I can I can easily cover for this, but the fact that there's one other person who has these um, these things and this evidence on him 
to yeah. convict him for something that was technically, but maybe an not an accident. Yeah, you, you go back and forth um, about that. Huh? Yeah, and then, and that's the thing. <laughs> we'll get into the actual action scenes, so then, but yeah, um, but like, I really do think that it, it was a great story. It was it was a fantastic story that I love it being in not a place like. You take an LA cop and put him out of the I love I love Alaska. I love that. Where the sun doesn't set. (laughs) Dude, that was the best part of the movie was the fact that like like it's I mean, that's one of the main parts of it is like there's he can't sleep. And I love how Robin Williams will say, like, hey, did you put your clock away yet? But yeah, he was like, I love how he will mess with him. I did was yeah, because once once you start looking at that clock, like you're fucked. Yeah. But 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 I will say like like it was definitely it was a gripping movie. It was I was enthralled by the fact that Pacino kind of comes in there knowing that he is like the bell of the ball. Like he's a veteran. He has yeah, this experience. Everyone loves like yeah, particularly the, the like Hilary Swank loves him. Yeah. With yeah, like Ellie him, like idolizes him. She did a case study on, on you. you. Yeah, when, yeah, and so like he kind of comes in as like this sort of shining star but it eventually turns into like he's kind of hiding from everyone and and every single move he makes has to be under the cover of no one knows what i'm doing so like that was definitely a gripping and suspenseful experience within watching the movie but it's it's funny because the first time i saw the guy who played how the cop who did get shot shot He's intended, and I was like, oh, "That's right, that is right." I was like, "Christopher Nolan coming He's, back, doing his." Christopher job. Nolan is a repeat offender Dude, sometimes he, when it comes to working with people. He can't <laughs> hire anyone he hasn't worked with before. Yeah, that's true. That's really funny. I thought uh, I was gonna see a Michael Caine appearance. I really did, but ah, uh, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's too early, too early. But yeah, that would have been cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. If you go, I mean, if you go to work with Christopher Nolan, you work with him as much as you can, I guess. Uh, so I was actually going to pick a different movie actually had another movie picked but then i was on twitter researching in an article for work and someone had posted uh, a quote from a book called the nolan variations and it's christopher nolan actually talks about insomnia and uh he says that he thinks it is considered his most underrated movie and he said i'm very proud of the film i think of all my films is probably the most underrated the reality is it's one of my most personal films in terms of what it was to make it it was a very vivid time in my life it was my first studio film i was on location it was the first time i worked with huge movie stars that's not really for me to say but every now and again i meet a filmmaker that's actually the film that they're interested in want to talk about so i am very proud of the movie so that's what made me pivot and this because i was like it is a really i think underrated uh effort i mean i mean we're talking about a guy that doesn't have a bad movie in his filmography so that's why it's weird to be like oh this one is considered his lesser <laughs> I his mean, lesser movie you're talking you're talking from someone who loves christopher nolan so i don't think he has a bad film in his filmography but people don't like tenet people don't like a few other things from him so that's true i get it i mean i i think there's a but, misconception but at that the same I, time, like, I don't understand like like he is a like revered filmmaker yeah i mean and and, you know he or better or worse i guess he doesn't make movies like this anymore it feels like he's he's very no i know i mean after after this it's batman begins and then it's the prestige i think and then the dark knight and i think there's inception in between there and then like the dark knight Knight, then the dark knight rises and then interstellar and then dunkirk 
and then Tenet, and now Oppenheimer's coming out in July. Like, so all of his movies have just gotten bigger in scope that it is hard to remember that he used to make movies like this uh, that were yeah. a lot smaller in their approach, but still He's pretty really smaller. Effective. I mean, make, meaning it made like 120 yeah. <laughs> million. Yeah. Yeah, right. And then smaller and like, oh, you're older. You're working with Pacino and Robin Williams. Not, not small in that regard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Seriously. And also Robin Williams. Like, I wonder how he was cast. Uh, you know what? You know what's interesting about this year for Robin Williams? Robin Williams was in this movie in May of 2002. And then he was in One Hour Photo also in 2002. He played another kind of deranged, off the wall, crazy person. Did great in both movies, but they're very different approaches to how to play someone who is maybe on the bus of being a serial killer. Cause I, every time I watch this movie, I'm always like, is the Robert Williams character, Walter Finch, is he on the cusp of becoming one or cause you know how the way he describes how, what happened with Kay and like, just kind of feeling everyone at yeah. what reason why they're there. While Al Pacino goes to this small fishing town, 17 year old girl named Kay Connell is found murdered and uh, Will Dormer played by Al Pacino and hat, Eckert, played by Martin Dovin, are sent to assist the local police with their investigation. And they're looking into, uh, you know, who might have done it. And like you said, that Old Dormer is kind of considered a rock star amongst this group in the beginning because, you know, he's big in L.A. He's like solved all these cases. But what we learn is that Eternal Affairs is, is investigating one of his past cases. And this is a big bone of contention between him and uh, Hap, who actually appeared to have had a relationship at one point, but this is kind of driven them apart because Separate you can tell that Hap yeah. wants to like, well, you know, give them what they need and tell them what they want in order to make this kind of either have them go easier on them or make it go away. And Will doesn't want them to talk at all. And what I like about this setup is, I guess from the trailer and what this seems like, I, I'm glad that it's not like, good cop who's after this like serial killer who's just like toying with him like will dormer is really uh flawed and you don't really didn't really like very him flawed. all that much all that much either so you're watching two very like flawed individuals who are pretty much pretty much the same almost in different like maybe small ways or not but as far as like what they're trying to hide in the case of like will and then Robert williams's character they're both kind of like in the same lane of like they're both trying to hide things and even though even though al pacino is a cop he's certainly not a perfect, a perfect one <laughs> Any or, or or a good benefit of the law <laughs> at all now you can tell that he's a good investigator because like all the things that he's trying to learn about Kay and like you know learn about her friends like when they're that whole scene where they're like in her bedroom and he's like going through her stuff and they he finds like the torn up picture and oh, then he's he, like, a fantastic detective yeah, and he looks in the trash can and he sees like there's another half of that torn picture that you know is her friend like well you know, if this was her best friend, why she ripped this up and throw it in the trash? So, like, you kind of learn with all mm -hmm. these, like, little, like, introduction scenes that he is a top-notch investigator because he looks at all the small details of a case. He's respected because of his previous performance. Like, you, you can tell that right. his previous knowledge, his, previ his previous cases are well-defined. Like, he has a reason for being well-respected. Yes. Now, the the issue is, is that he, there's an issue of using questionable evidence in order to convict some of the people that he's investigated in past cases, which is why, you know, Eternal Affairs was looking into him. Uh, so even though he is, you know, on the one hand, an expert in this stuff, yeah, at what he does, he's clearly gone through illegal corners to, in order to get convictions as well 
on top of, you know, just actually being a brilliant detective and cop. And he wants to keep that hidden. So in the midst of all this too, since they're in Alaska where, and I like, there's that one scene where he's like basically telling them, all right, let's go do this. And they're like, oh, it's 10 o'clock. He's like, yeah, let's, okay. Let's, let's go to school. <laughs> I just go to school. And they're like, it's like, 10 o'clock. It's 10 at night. It's like, oh, at night. So the sun does not set there. It's 24 hours of daylight. And what's interesting too, is that you have Will Dormer who is trying to deal with that change, like going from like LA um, yeah, so you have this person who is from Los Angeles and you put them in Alaska where, you know, it's sun, sun is out 24 hours a day. And yeah, so he has to deal with that. But he also has to deal with, like the psychological ramification of, his, you know, being told that like, hey, I'm going to testify against you in order to get immunity. So all this stuff is going to come out about you. So while he's trying to deal also with this new case that they're working in Alaska, there's these three different things that are like working against him as far as like psychologically. Uh, so by the time that we get to a moment where, you know, they've gone through all of Kay's stuff and they're like, they're trying to figure out a way to like lure her suspected killer out to where they're going to try to ambush him. You know, mm -hmm. there's that whole, you know, that whole sequence and stuff where they get, you know, lost in the fog. And I know we kind of brought up like yeah. what ends up, ends up happening. So this is like the first big quote unquote action scene. Like when that happens. I mean, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Shot very well though. I thought Christopher Nolan did a really good job. Like, you feel like you I are. I thought it was shot very well. It, it felt very disorienting. Yeah, you feel like you're lost the in point. the fog with him, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, so you know, who we learn is Robin Williams later gets one shot off at one cop. He gets shot in the leg, and then uh, Dormer goes to go look for him. And in this kind of fog, he's about he sees a figure in the distance, and he has his one gun and it's out of bullets. And then he has a backup nine millimeter, which will be important later, and he shoots who he assumes is, you know, the guy they suspect uh, killing Kay and it ends up not being him. It ends up being app who was going to testify against him in order to get immunity. And, and can I tell you that I knew that that was going to happen? I mean, it okay, was you so saw that coming. Movie, yeah, like, yeah. I could see that coming easily. Right. Did you now, I guess I can ask, I mean, I don't know if it's important to ask you now or later. I guess I can ask you now. Is it, do you feel like it was an accident? Like this wasn't something that he did on purpose. Like, cause I know they try to like throughout the movie, yeah. they want you to feel like, Oh, like maybe he yeah. saw him and did do it. And I'm under the, the side of he, it was an accident, but I just yeah. want to see what you think. Yeah, no, first of all, great question. Because I mean, that is like one of the like at heart questions of the movie is what is Pacino's intent? And like, what what is Dormer actually really trying to do? Is he trying to save his own skin, or does he actually feel bad about the consequences that he's done? I mean, in terms right. of like the the cases that he, I mean, the one that he is on trial for well, in far. internal affairs, like like that kind of stuff. And then versus, yep. is he really going to do everything he can to save his own skin? So right. I understand that. I mean, that I think is one of the biggest questions of the movie. I think that any other actor would have done a very poor job giving me a hard time to decide. But Pacino, dude, he does an incredible job of making me not have any idea what his true emotion is. Yeah. And coming from, like, I mean, even Robin Williams and his character versus the other cops, they say it so well where it's like, I don't think you're thinking straight, man. You you haven't slept. Yeah. That is the heart of the movie where it's like, no matter what, are are these decisions that he's making, are yeah. they 
like intentional or are they just the fact of being psychotic because he's been awake for 73 hours (laughs) like like, who actually knows in terms of the question that you asked me i think that i think that he didn't i don't think he intentionally shot him but i think the second that he did he was not only one happy two relieved but also like like second that it happened he's like this solves so many problems so even though i didn't mean to do it this is a good thing all right that's and that's why he covered it up so, so that's that's why he didn't say oh it was an accident i shot someone yeah it was that's yeah. why he covered it up and was and was excited to continue that cover-up and continue to make it be not his fault well you know what the movie does a good job of there's a couple of moments before we get to this where uh dormer's clearly mad at him like after yeah. he tells him that he's going to testify against him there, you can tell their relationship and in just a few scenes has changed already. So there's already this anger that's there. So it really does set up the fact like, all right, maybe he did do it on purpose. The way Al Pacino plays it when he discovers him, it seems like he's genuinely like, oh, because he like he takes off his tie. Like he wants to like kind of like put something on the wound and like maybe stop the wound and help him. Then, you know, to Martin Donovan's credit, when he's dying, he was actually really good when he was like, you know, you shot me, he you shot me. And he looked frightened like he was like no you did this like basically did this on purpose like, and that it's his dying like declaration like i know you did this on purpose and that's like the last thing he sees like it even harder when his wife asks him what were his last words like did he say anything anything yeah and his last words were like i'm scared of you you did this on purpose, this is purpose. Like, yeah get away from me how can he say that to a, the widow yeah, <laughs> it's true that. right it's true right uh, but yeah that's interesting that you think that i mean i guess because he has to cover it up because because of what's going on with eternal affairs they're not going to believe that he shot him on accident he's already so into the it's already into deep to, yeah it's already so deep i mean he was even saying like at the i mean to spoil it first of all if you haven't seen insomnia there's spoilers in this uh podcast. oh yeah <laughs> but but came out um, 2002 at the end he basically says <laughs> but i mean uh, like at the end he basically says like um he I mean, he planted the evidence and he's like, I knew that this was going to catch up to me. So I think yeah. that that mindset of him already being kind of fucked, like he already knows, like at the end of the day, like it's going to be, I'm, I'm going to get caught. I know yeah. that some, some hap- like happenstance. So I think that he continues to make these rash choices yeah. based on the fact that yeah. he knows that he's already in, he's already in it. Yeah. And some of these rash choices include, he does pick up the 38 pistol that, Robin Williams ended up dropping and uh, he claims that uh, that was actually shot by him uh, by the suspect. We don't know it's Robin Williams yet. Uh, and he doesn't mention that he has the 38. So this whole issue with the guns and the caliber of bullets, this becomes like a big thing uh, throughout the movie as our little uh, Ellie, Ellie Burr uh, <laughs> starts her own little junior investigation. Uh, so here's so, what I want to say. So I don't... Oh yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say I don't understand. So she's like his shadow, and yeah. she gets introduced as his shadow. So like she's working for him, right? Basically, as he's already assigned to the case, he's already but, assigned to like the K Connell case when, or whatever, right? Yeah, but but when Robin Williams asks her what her association with the case is, she responds by saying, "Oh, I'm only like affiliated with the cop death, and I'm, so I'm investigating I, the shooting." So I so, think like, what ended up happening is like. I think, well, I think what ends up happening, because he put, I think he puts her with, with that entire case. I think he just puts her on it and like, you know, I want you to investigate this. And the only reason I think that he does that is because he can control, you know, 
what she finds and like what like he can kind of feed her like True. if information on like you know because he's you know he tells her this is where i heard the shot from and all this other stuff and uh, and she takes what he says at first as gospel because she respects him i think it's a good time to kind of bring up her as a character because i know you said that she seemed like she was underserved a little underutilized. bit or, or, or underutilized i think i used to feel that way a lot while watching it uh the other day i I mean, we always talk about this with Mr. Brooks, where I like I read maybe read into something too much, and like this is what yeah, it was yeah. supposed to be. You're uh, annoying. I always, I always got the impression like the point of her character was maybe at one point Al Pacino's character was just like her, maybe young and idealistic, and really yeah. cared about the and really cared about the work, which is why he kind of make a difference. Or yeah, which is kind of which thing. Is why he kind of respects her too, because he doesn't really, even though he tries to lead her in the wrong direction at times. There's this one mm. thing that he that he does where I feel like he wants to get caught. When she's like, "Hey, can you just sign off on the report?" Because like she, he could have easily signed off on it and be like, "This is where I heard the shot. This is what happened. This was the caliber of bullet. This was the gun. Like whatever." And he tells her to go back and look at it more thoroughly before, because her name's on the report. So I think in his yeah. own way, he's doing that. He almost feels guilty and doesn't want her to like, you know. Because here's the thing too: like if if she gets it, like if if he gets if he doesn't get caught, then she's fine. She signed off on the report, and right. she did the right thing. But if he right. does get caught, which he knows he will, she's going to be the one on the report to say he was fine. I right. think he in, internally knows. He's like, I think that I'm, I mean, I'm saving her saving a chance her. to like, I know I'm going to get caught. Like, don't, don't put your name on this. Don't do this to that's yourself. A, that's, a, that's a good way to look at it too. Because right, cool. also like, <laughs> like, I'm looking out for your future. Like you're going to be the one that on this report, it says, I knew something was up and I actually led to the, discovery but then in the yeah. end she's like this bullet like she's willing to save him in the end yeah that's true but i think because she feels that she's like mean she didn't mean, she, he, he didn't mean to do it okay. yeah i will say I, well, yeah. I do think i agree with you a little bit that the character is a bit underwritten compared to god even robin williams's character who doesn't even appear until like 61 minutes into the movie guys <laughs> when, yeah. when you like i remember the first time i saw this i was like where is he <laughs> yeah when does he pop up Dude, okay. But, can, can we also can we before that can we talk about the trailer because I watched oh, the trailer. To, oh, the um, I watched it too. Was it was like a really bad voice. It is. Guy? It is <laughs> insufferable. It is an insufferable trailer, and it it is a reason that I am so glad we do not live in the early two thousands anymore because we don't have the, the trailers <laughs> are atrocious. They are so bad. It is a joke. It yeah. feel like this <laughs> high energy. Yeah, like, it's like in the world yeah <laughs> like it bad man it is laughable and i actually laughed out loud watching the trailer so um, i popped it, it i is, popped it on after i watched the movie it. and i was like this is doesn't sell this well yeah maybe in yeah, 2002 it probably did sell it well which is probably why you're like i'm glad we don't live in that period anymore like, i need to look up yeah. when when we did away with the voiceover guy because it, it was well past 2002 that we still had him uh for a little bit because I, I know he was taken, doing i know he was doing taken was he, the year that could be it. After yeah. Taken, I think that I was mean, the year that they're like, all right, that's enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some people are nostalgic for the voiceover dude, man. I, it is like a throwback to like, oh, I, when you, when you had to have someone tell you what miss. was going on in the trailer, like you couldn't just figure it out for yourself. Uh, but yeah, this trailer dude, is that not good. It's sitting on royalties for generations now. Yeah. I would say that anyone, I mean, if you're my generation watching the trailer, you'll be like, all right, whatever. This is of its time. If you were a newer viewer to that movie, I feel like you shouldn't watch the trailer because I don't think it'll 
make you not watch the trailer. You'll you'll never want to watch the movie. I don't think it'll make you want to watch it. And I felt that way as soon as it was on. As soon as I heard the guy's voice, I was like, oh, this is bad. This is really, really bad. But uh, so uh, we have the whole thing with the bullets. He goes to the coroner or the pathologist and uh, they hand him the bag bullet retrieved from Hat's body. And she's unfamiliar with the type because all they have is like hunting and somebody there. She's like, I don't know what type of bullet this is. Great and corner, so, by the way. Great corner. corner. <laughs> yeah. Good, Good job. Good job. Good Good job. job. She has no flat idea out. about anything besides like a 38 or a, flat out a, says, I don't know what this is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Dormer leaves and switches the 38 bullet for the nine millimeter slug from Hap's body uh, in order to cover up the fact that he shot him. And then over the next few days, Dormer's plagued by Sambia, which is like a big, there's a lot of scenes where he is played constantly by not being able to sleep. I mean, I think we've never been awake for like five, four days or anything like that. So I, but I do know what it's like to not get sleep. And I think that movie sells the whole feeling of like what kind of, and it was interesting too, because Steven Soderbergh. It's, yeah, it's, it's not about not being tired. It's about just like not being able to relax. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing it's like it's like insomnia has, has nothing to do with the fact that like you just can't sleep. um can't sleep like you can't just like actually fall asleep it's it's mostly like when even, even when you are in that restless state you still sort of daydream and doze right and when you're in that dozing state like you can't tell if what you're sort of dreaming is real or not yeah so, so i think that, that's a big stage of it where it's like he's just kind of going out of disassociation and real life and he just doesn't really know sort of what is important and not. And so like that's yeah. why like in the end, I think he concedes his decision is because he, he's realizing he's like, I, I've been not really thinking that this is a either a big deal or I'm hiding it too much. This needs to come out. Um, yeah. And he realizes it at the end. Yeah, but and he's, and he's starting to like, you know, hallucinate and like kind of see things. Yeah, he sees half a lot. Like the and, um window, the window frame, they, like yeah, where it's always lit up. Yeah, it's, it's it was great. It was great. It, it was annoying. Even seeing it in the movie, I was like, oh my god. And I love and I love that scene with scene with more returning when she comes in the room and she's like, are you all right? And he's like, oh, it's just so bright in here. And she's like, no, it's dark. And she flips the light it's on, dark. and it does that effect where like it just gets bright in the room. And he's just like, oh. And he's like, all right, you can turn it off. Like, turn it off, like, turn it off. Oh, yeah. Turn off. I like that they did that, though. That kind of show, like, uh, you know, you're in a completely, like, you know, you're clearly losing it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, her character's interesting, too, because I, you know, I went back and forth, like, is she not pointless? I don't want to say that. I think it ends up being an important sounding board for <laughs> him to tell the truth about towards the end, about, like, you know, the situation with his case back home. And I think he trusts her in some way because, like, she has no skin in the game at all. She's not a cop. He's just someone that's met them, like, staying at this, like, you know, motel or hotel where they're ever staying at. She even mentions, too, she says, only people that live in Alaska are people that were born here or people that are trying to escape. And she said, I wasn't born here. So I think that she's trying to escape something, too. So you know that she has some sort of unanswered past, which means that he... He can kind of tell her anything, really, like I, yeah. And and, yeah. and like, she's unspoken gonna be like, I'm not gonna kind of thing. Call the cops on you. She's like, I'm not yeah. gonna call the cops on you. Like, even if you did something terrible, like that's the reason I'm here. I you might have done something worse. Who knows? Yeah. But um, like, and that could be like I the interesting importance of her character. Ended up, yeah. But I don't, I don't understand why she ended up in his bed at the end. Like she slept there that night. She just fell asleep. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Is there anything? Yeah. I, mean, I don't. I don't know the <laughs> significance of that. It was just kind of like maybe it was six in the morning like who knows because you never know yeah 
It's always maybe, uh, maybe they just kind of like talked to the night and then they fell asleep. I mean, maybe there's nothing more not that morning, whatever it he's, was. He's standing there in the same clothes, just like, yeah, he's probably delirious. Yeah, but I do. I will say I did like that scene, though. It's like this. It really was like this one moment of honesty between strangers where it's like, I can tell you this because you you're not involved and you're not going to judge me. And I think she it feels that way where he's like, she can listen to it. And like you said, she's mm-hmm. not going to do anything about it. Yeah, she's not yeah. in the position to. Um, so I guess in hindsight, I mean, when I first saw it, I was like, seems like a really thankless role, but I guess for the sake of like his development towards the end, mm-hmm. she does play. It, it, uh, provokes his, uh, it provokes his confession. Basically. Yeah, it does. So while he's fighting with all this insomnia, he's starting to get these phone calls from who we uh, eventually learn to be uh, Ultra Finch, Robin Williams, who writes crime novels. Uh, I, I asked you guys, someone who probably mostly knows Robin Williams for being the funny guy, uh, what did you think about uh, him here? Because I have an interesting parallel between this and Mr. Brooks. And what I was trying to explain with Kevin Costner, I think Robin Williams mm-hmm. does a much better job uh, at just playing it straight, which makes it creepy. Yeah. Where it's an, an unintentional, like you don't expect him to be creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, what did you think? Yeah, of him? I mean, I thought he did a, uh, a really good job. He he felt the right amount of a little bit of mania and scared where he can tell at certain points he thinks he has control of the situation. Yeah. And he's like, I know what's going on. I have kind of developed this into what I believe is going to be the outcome. Then when the variables hit, you can see him get more scared and more willing to act. Obviously why he attacks the cop at the end yeah. where he's like willing to be more aggressive. But yeah. I think you can really believe he he thinks he's in control, which is a scary thing to think yeah. of when you're thinking of a psychotic killer. Yeah. Um, he, he does a really good job making me believe that he thinks it was an accident. Even yeah, though I, that's a good point. I know, I know, like, even after watching all of it, he had no issue killing her. He wanted to. Yeah. So, she like, I, I do believe, like, and that's why Al Pacino does a good job, because he's like... I've dealt with you motherfuckers for 30 years. Yeah, you're full of shit. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. Like, you're a job. I have no issue why you did it, but why you did it is why I get paid. So that's why I'm bringing you in. Yeah. So like, I don't know. I, yeah, Williams does a great job making it feel like he's trying to convince me, but also keep me in question because he's very convincing. Yeah, I love... <laughs> By the way, I love that they... He, at one point, breaks into his apartment because he wants to plant this gun because he wants to, like frame uh, well i guess yeah frame him for shooting his partner uh, on walter french because since finch is going to be he wants him to be the suspect in this girl's murder uh, on the other hand walter finch wants uh, this girl k who he's had the 17 year old girl who he has some kind of relationship with you know is in high school she has a high school boyfriend finch wants them to pin it pin it on him because you know from his talks with her he knows that the boyfriend had been you know abusive, abusive. i'm sure he knows knows that the boyfriend has cheated on her with her best friend. Like he knows all this stuff about the boyfriend. So it's like, this is the way we should sell it. Especially since I know that you actually shot your friend. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I'll help you if you help me kind of thing. But I love that scene where he hides the gun and uh, they, ha- they have this whole chase and stuff. And he goes back to the apartment and Robin Williams just calls his, calls his apartment and the machine, the machine picks up and he's basically like, Oh, I know you're there. Like, uh, like, can you pick up or like whatever? And he doesn't pick up. 
and then he calls back and the machine picks up again and then he's like bro whatever he picks up the phone and he starts talking to him like this it's a really funny like exchange that they have back and forth yeah uh, even ask him to feed his dogs before he hangs up on him uh, yeah oh, oh my god that was hilarious it's hilarious uh, yeah i thought that was really i thought the scenes together were really good like they have a good kind of like psychological like warfare that goes on with each other uh I... the one on the, one on the phone i thought was the okay. one where he's describing how he killed her is i think robin williams strongest mm-hmm. scene because it's it starts so calm where like you said it feels like to him like it was an accident and you know mm-hmm. basically explain that she came over like she usually does and we were talking and she's telling me about her boyfriend and all this stuff and then of course he kisses her and then he got excited from kissing her and then she started laughing at him and then you kind of see this subtle switch in how he tells the story where like mm-hmm. you know she was just laughing and she wouldn't stop laughing at me so like basically i hit her to make her stop and i hit her again and like hit her again and and then she was become... screaming, so I had Wait, to shut her up. No, and, no, no, no. and yeah, then it goes from being calm, it was an accident, to like you can see there's like this pent up rage underneath Progress- it. Yeah, progression. Yeah, yeah like he almost bad. seems like he wants to cry a little bit when he's like describing it because he's like, you know, she did this to me and I had to like shut her up because well, like he was this is also probably me. the first time that he's talked about it, maybe ever. Right. So like him actually describing it to someone, he's just like, I can, I mean, he even says it too. It's like, it's so good to finally talk about this with someone. Yeah. And he's like, and he's so, like, do you want to talk like, about that? Like, like, do you want to talk? Yeah, about like, t- tell me about your horrible experience of murdering someone. Where you did, where there was an accident, where was an accident. And then Al Pacino's like, click. Just immediately the phone. Yeah, I think I think their scenes together are really good. Like, I think they kind of have a good balance of you know, even even though Al Pacino's losing it, he's still kind of on toe to toe with him a bit, at least like on the psychological like dealing with him front definitely not chasing him down because there's well, a... <laughs> i, I, I kind of like like their actual interaction like on the boat on the ferry i yeah. like when they're kind of negotiating like how to kind of go about it yeah because like pacino I mean, his whole character in and in of itself is this very strong hard by the book kind of guy and to have this one case that has derailed his entire like morale and morals and and what he does like he's willing to he knows this guy's the killer he's confessed to him and he's sitting there bargaining with him on how they're going to frame someone else so like yeah it's crazy to kind of see this like golden boy cop who is discussing with this victim this perpetrator and murderer yeah he believes he's like oh i know i I believe even if it wasn't an accident i'll do it so i can save my own skin yeah so that sort of negotiation between them on how they are going to go about this is uh it's it's crazy to see pacino's deviation to immediately go towards i'll do whatever it takes to make sure that i don't get caught yeah and that's going to lead towards yeah some serious consequences consequences. (laughs) yeah and there's also what what i like about the interactions too is that robin williams when he's talking with him about how they should go up like when he's explaining like oh like you know we need a wild card we need this you know we need all these variables so like how we can make this work he's so calm and he's so like you can tell he's a very intelligent man too like Mm -hmm. he knows exactly what he's talking about it would be easy for you to play that part like you're crazy and he doesn't there's i mean of course there's subtle things when he's describing certain stuff but like as a him making general conversation he doesn't sound like he's unhinged like he sounds like he's pretty put yeah. together like like and, when he was interviewed at, at, at the station yeah so that scene i really like a lot um and i love the way it comes together where i mean of course you assume like yeah the whole situation with the gun like robin williams is probably like 
one step ahead when it comes to like where they hid that gun. And but I yeah. love the I love the realization in the scene where he's like, yeah, he, you know, he she said that and he would keep it in like this location. He just like looks over at him like kind of like yeah, where you like where you tried to hide it, <laughs> and and yeah. then like. He's like, oh, I gotta go. He's like, no, no, no. He's yeah, he knows exactly uh, what's going on. Oh, dude, uh, but she, she was face just like falls and he's like, I'm gonna fuck with this guy. Yeah, I so you I, killed her, bitch. Yeah, so I was wondering too how you felt about the, the shift in sudden anger. Like, was it like, why do you think he did that? I mean, instead of just playing it cool and be like, you know, I not, I know that you know about the whole gun situation. Like, why does he like just snap at him and like basically berate him and then belittle him for? I think it was more of a show of um, regardless of what you have on me, I still sort of have the upper hand because I work for the police. It might okay. it might have been like, hey, like I got people on my side. I have a little bit more credibility than you do. So right. like if you're going to try and pull this on me, like I'm going to pull everything on you on you. And like, yeah, I know you killed her. All I can say is it was an accident. You might think he has more leverage. So he just kind of went after it. And uh but he also can't reveal everything. He has to act like he doesn't know him. So right. it's it's a very interesting right. scene to see the dynamics well, between. What I love like, about like, that like scene, who, who's winning the battle? Who's winning the battle? Like, what was cool about that scene too is that like you have like you also have Fred, who's played by Nikki Cat and Ellie in that room, and they're kind of like yeah. something like why why is there so much tension so like, between these two? If this is the first time ever on. that it's the first time they've ever met, allegedly, like you can tell that she knows. For sure that like yeah. something's up uh, i think the guy I was pretty naive yeah i think he was too and i love the way that scene's played though because pacino and him both know these things about each other and you can tell when pacino digs about like buying her gifts and like whether or not he wanted to like have sex with her and like all this other stuff mm -hmm. and he was like well no she's only 17 and she was like well she's pretty good looking for 17 like when he's digging at him about that you could tell Robin Williams' response to it isn't an act; like it's bothering him. It's starting to get to him, and mm -hmm. and it's just interesting. Like in a scene like that, where you know there are two other people in it, where they have no idea what's going on between these mm -hmm. two, and just you know watching this kind of like tension grow between these other two characters, who are you know I'm digging at you because you know this about me, and like I'm going to dig at you because you know this about me, and yep. I love how that scene is uh, played. And of course, we get some like signature like Al Pacino yelling. We get a few. Al Pacino yelling scenes in this movie. No, no, he's really, he's really tired. You know what you're getting when you you sign up Al Pacino. You know exactly what you're getting. And to his credit, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how. I've never watched a lot of movies where people play that they have insomnia, where they like look like they're restless and can't sleep. He looks like he hasn't slept in days. He looks exhausted. Like his like eyes are constantly half eyes are half closed. The way he responds to things like. Like he doesn't even like give people full answers anymore. Like through half the movie, like yeah, like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like kind of like always wondering, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you can just Dude, see. I, poor... I mean, I've been at moments where I'm exhausted like that, and you just kind of go through the motions. Like, yeah, I mean, I think he did it great. Did a great job. Yeah, I yeah, I thought he was really he sold that uh, so well because it was like I don't know. I hear that researching some of the stuff for this movie, Pacino can be pretty method. So like, I wonder. If he was like, I'm just not gonna sleep. How much he stayed up all night? <laughs> all right, right, exactly, exactly. How much does Scarface stay up all night? All night, yeah. Insomnia, yeah, huh? Yeah, there, there you get know. the reference. There you get the reference, guys. Yeah, very method. Yeah, very method. Uh, but yeah, that uh, interrogation scene is great, and then we already talked about the the scene with the hotel owner. 
Um, how did you? This is the one thing, and I guess you have to wrap the movie up. I guess I think Ellie just coming upon the showcasing. I mean, I guess she was looking around for something. Yeah. But it felt, but it felt very like, oh, like there it is, like you know, like this. I was gonna talk about it. Okay, And she's like, oh, that is she put. Now I do, I do love that she put together that he had a backup gun because she had done a case study on him and she knew that he had like one. And I like that. I just didn't love like it felt like happenstance that she stumbled upon like the nine millimeter casing. And yeah, I think the yeah. stumble upon is is pretty. Towards the end, I was just kind of like, really? Like, yeah, like that just didn't really make sense. Like, like why I know the movie has to wrap. I know it has to wrap up, and she's like a little junior investigator, and uh, she you know, had to every way more, way better details to tie him to yeah. all of it, all of it. That, like, yeah, there, there, yeah. There were, there start more. starting starting with the whole like, yeah, you couldn't have heard, you couldn't have heard the shot from over there. It started yeah, from like, like the very beginning. There were so many separate things that she could have nailed him on besides the casing that yeah. made, made that just kind of be like a filler or it was just a reason for her to be there right and to give uh but, to everyone everyone listening i do want to give hillary Snake some credit though because i i agree with owen it is a underutilized role and it's kind of underwritten but i think she does the best she can uh, it. like she's very likable in the movie uh, you actually yeah. i actually you actually believe her admiration for uh will dormer and i guess that's I how she played realize, like i mean you kind of start to realize like her admiration turns into realization for what the role can lead to. So, yeah, to you like know? what, well, where, what someone in mean, That's that's his sort of like uh, protecting stance too on her is like, oh, like you're. I was kind of like you. Like I wanted to save the world and do all these things. Yeah. But then to actually catch the bad ones, sometimes you have to do a bad thing, which is what he yeah. did. I mean, he's like, I know this is the fucking guy. That's why I'm going to plant this evidence. Yeah. And, exactly. Uh, and so, like, kind of, I think he feels guilty about the fact that he has done some bad things, but he shows this great progression into seeing and wanting to be like him for a good reason, for his success, right. his track record, but also right. then realizing, like, this is where I can go, being mad, at him, <laughs> like, like, being mad at him, being like, oh, you're a bad person to the very end, sort of realizing it was an accident, and he's trying to do a lot of other things, he's got a lot of stuff on his plate, and her willing to kind of throw the evidence away right yeah for him which yeah, is crazy exactly. like she didn't know him yeah, yeah. so <laughs> yeah he hasn't even been there long <laughs> it's a very it's a very interesting the very interesting like sort of yeah it's an interesting like, role too like, because gr- it's... growing up very quick as a cop to like yeah will, being willing to forgive this dirty one for right. no reason is a little bit doesn't really yeah. make sense but i think this is a good example though of an actor giving you more than like probably what was on the page though i think she tries yeah. to flesh ellie out a bit more i do know that it was easy for her to play admiration for dormer because she said as an actor she was working with pacino and she was like she looks up to him and admires him so she just used that the entire time they were acting together so it was really easy for her How to like not? i know right so she said it was really easy for her to just be like enamored by him because like She's like, it's Pacino, so it's not. This is not really a hard yeah. role for for me to play at all. Dude, I was thinking <laughs> about that too. I was thinking about like Robin Williams, who's, I mean, obviously not a serious not dramatic actor. Like, not. not I, mean, he's been, I mean, he's been in some stuff. I mean, like, yeah, but he's not like a lifelong actor by trade. Like, right, he's right. a comedian. 
Right, right. So, like, to see him next to Pacino, and I could see Pacino is just, like, acting his fucking chops off, like, in some of these yeah. scenes, especially on the ferry. Like, yeah. when they're so close together, and they're having these, like, I imagine Robin Williams being like, oh, my God, I am next to this genius, like, this actor. Um, yeah. And, like, I mean, seeing, him, seeing him do something next to Pacino like that is pretty well, impressive. You I know mean, what's crazy is that all three yeah, of the leads it, at this at this point have Oscars. Like Hillary Swank had already won one in '99 yeah. for Boys Don't Cry. Pacino won one for Sin of a Woman. Had been nominated countless times before that. Robin Williams already won for Good Will Hunting. So you have like these three Oscar winners together, but very different walks of acting life, right? Like where like it's yeah. like you wouldn't normally catch them in a movie together. And I kind of agree with you. I wonder crazy. what it was like for Robin Williams to act alongside him. And you know, if Pacino looked at because Robin Williams, like, was, he wasn't like. I don't think he joined Goodwill Hunting being like, "I'm searching for an Oscar." No, I don't think there's, so. There's either. no uh, way, yeah. like, like you can join that kind of movie and expect to be critically acclaimed. And then like, he I just don't... jumps from that to stardom after being a comedian for so long. Like, I mean, that's probably what has inspired people like Adam Sandler and other comedians to want to do. Yeah, more because dramatic. like he's done like. I mean, throughout his career, like in the 80s, he did like Dead Poets Society, which is more dramatic, but it, it isn't, there isn't, there's like a hint of like the Robin Williams we know and love in that performance too. And even though Good Will Hunting. Man. Best performance <laughs> of all time. Flubber. I feel like we bought, brought up Flubber before on the podcast before. Second time. <laughs> Flubber. Big two. <laughs> the big two. Uh, even in Good Will Hunting, it's a more serious role, but you still see shades of Robin Williams in that. Uh, yeah. With this movie and. Here you don't, know. There you don't, you don't, and in one hour photo, maybe I'll deep dive it later. Like, you don't see it there either. He's completely not himself. Uh, so, like, but I think, like, comedians can, like, eat these roles really well. They have, like, a little bit of a dark side, I guess, because, like, you know, they usually, well, well, I mean, usually comedians are, like, funny because they're, like, trying to mask a lot of bullshit, right? So, like, that's why, you know, Jim Carrey, you talk about M. Sandler, like, they can transition into serious roles a bit more. I think it's crazy that Robin Williams mm-hmm. did two psychological thrillers in the same year <laughs> and pulled it off greatly but like it's interesting yeah that yeah. this was direction but yeah like when i was looking at the cast i was like yeah they had all three won oscars at this point yeah. and <laughs> and she and she'll and she'll win the second one a few years later for million dollar baby like it's crazy and now she's barely and she's like doing stuff now now she's kind of I, I don't want to say she's on teaching she's on tv now it's fine tv's good not to say anything's wrong with tv it's okay well done she's on alaska um, daily i heard it's pretty good i've never watched it <laughs> she needs to go back to alaska because she loved doing so this movie I, I so, wanted to, yeah, right. <laughs> so i wanted to ask you about the uh the action because um, for me I like, the, i feel like i know where you're going with this <laughs> it's 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 not good it's not good well we got two um, how, it, how old were they at this point that's what i'm saying dude <laughs> the scene where they're running after each other and it's like it's like really slow it's like so bad i'm like these men are in their almost 60s and they're uh, running yeah. after each other like lumber yard yeah so <laughs> like, so yeah that that scene i so funny that you mentioned it so i'm watching that scene and I was like, Owen's going to say something about like how the action looks. Because I'm watching Pacino run. First of all, I watched Pacino hop a fence. Which, I mean, I thought Robin Williams hopping the fence. Like, I Pacino, totally saw that. No. But I didn't have Pacino just like hop it. He scaled it. <laughs> like completely scaled the fence. Scaled it. And yeah. then when he's like chasing after him. Rodeo. And like he's kind of close to him. But not really. Like it's like almost like he's running in place. And like his hands are really funny and weird. Um, 
they did the best they could Dude, it's bad it's bad i'm, I'm like these two 60 <laughs> year old men are not running after each other and then like what's the significance of the log drowning like so i thought you know what through? i didn't i did like it visually though i mean it, it is a claustrophobic it makes you it feel like terrifying. really claustrophobic I mean, thinking yeah about, thinking about it it was very claustrophobic yeah yeah but it was the point probably probably just christopher nolan just wanted to like throw in some nice visual and then dude so... like, he hops out of the water he hops out of the water his hair's still like somewhat <laughs> greasy like like it doesn't look like he just took a plunge in the fucking ocean like yeah he still looks like i actually believe i don't think that that was al pacino in the water i think that was a double it's like, definitely a double oh my god I, I would hope so you know al pacino's like i'm not doing that shit there's yeah, no I, fucking way al pacino actually got into a fucking i'm sure pacino's double was used a few times and did that <laughs> I think his double There's was no a few times in that movie. He definitely didn't scale that fence <laughs> whatsoever. No. And neither did neither did Robin That's Williams close. that credit. But I could buy Robin Williams hopping a fence more than Al Pacino. But yeah, I totally knew you were gonna bring that yeah. up. That one was a that is a really that was it's not great, but I say it's an visually two thousands kind of movie. Yeah. Yeah, I will say the tool of the, the drowning underneath the logs was like cool visual gag though. I thought that was uh, Oh yeah. Really well. I will say that's a it's a new fear of mine. Unlocked. Then watching him like watching him like just watching him just like close. Yeah, yeah, watching him just close in on you and trying to get out. You can't get air, you'll get decapitated by the Yeah. Oh Jesus. Yes, that was definitely scary, but it just seems a little bit necessary. Yeah. And then they have another action scene towards the end when they were fighting each other. Uh Finch and gravitate towards hand to hand combat. Shoot each other. Shoot each other. Like yeah, Why are you uh, gonna run at him? Makes no sense. Yeah, because at this point, you know, uh, Bird's already. Uh, but does she says she already know she thinks something's up with Finch, right? By the time she gets to his lake house, yeah, she's following up. Okay, like, like she, so, she's she's making sure. I think that like she's like making sure her suspicions are right. I think by yeah. following up with Finch and just kind of being like, hey, like this bullet doesn't make sense, like. Yeah. What was your relationship with him? I knew something was up, and then yeah. he just. By the way, <laughs> I want to. I typed in because I'm trying to start to do this just in case there, if there's any movie that has unanswered questions. I typed in what are some unanswered questions about insomnia. There was a Reddit post with a few comments that one of them was like, "Why does Hillary Swank grab Al Pacino's ass when they're at outside the restaurant before she leaves and says like it was it's a pleasure working with you, Detective Dormer?" And I was like, I would just like to point out, she did not grab his ass. She was checking to see if he had his gun. Cause like that was, that was like her evidence, like that he would like, if he didn't have the gun on him anymore, then he definitely uh, did what she suspected him of. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought that made sense, but other people online thought that she was just grabbing out she was groping, <laughs> groping out Pacino's booty for no reason. Uh, but no, she, she was just checking for the gun and it wasn't there. And I, and you can tell that choice. You could tell in the way when she grabs for it and she says it's a pleasure, it's a pleasure working with her and her voice kind of cracks. It's like this disappointment where she realizes mm-hmm. like, oh, like this is definitely true. He definitely did it. Uh, yeah, she yeah. wasn't grabbing his, she wasn't grabbing his butt, guys. <laughs> in case nope. you were wondering. Uh, hey guys, as much as you want to have your butt grabbed by Hillary Swank. Like Hillary Swank. No. <laughs> I also, this is another thing I don't love about movies sometimes, but I get it. It's exposition. Like they're clearly in danger with Robert Williams's character. And then she kind of puts a gun on Pacino and she's like, uh, where she all this exposition of like, oh, you killed him and you did this. And like, uh, did you mean to do it? And he's like, and he's just like, oh, I don't know anymore. I don't, I don't know, know anymore. Know. But like, 
there's other more serious things happening like at play like hey this guy he knocks you out earlier this guy, like, i'm sure he, yeah. yeah i'm sure like yeah i just hate when that happens in movies but i get it she had to like confront him at some point mm-hmm. but i love his answer though because he easily could have been like it was an accident i don't know but he was like he's i think he's honest to the point that's what he can be is like i couldn't see him in the fog but i really don't know anymore like he's lost his mind from not having any sleep like all the stuff that he's gone through like psychologically like he doesn't have an idea of like what's true and what's <clears throat> not anymore at that yeah. point i th- i think that he does exactly kind of what he says he's like i shot him didn't see who it was he looked exactly like the person I was chasing, so I shot yep. him. Then got up close, and Hal's realization was that he thought that he was shot by Dormer or um, yeah. by um, Tina. So it's like I understand sort of everything that went on. I I don't think that he meant to shoot him, but when he did, he was happy. He realized he could. It made him. it made everything easier. Made everything easier. Yeah. Oh, interesting, man. Because like. I mean, he's not happy that he's dying, right? I mean, like, he feels like he wants to help him at first. Like, he wants to, like, he's putting pressure on the wound. He's like, yo, calm down, calm down. That's like, the only time you see some sort of compassion from him is when he's actually dying. That's true. Well, that's an interesting take. Besides I mean, he that, could, he, he's, he's certainly I, covering I up like he doesn't care. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Shit, well. But then it gets to him enough in the end where he's like, I can't keep hiding this. I know it's going to come out. Like, I'd rather just be, like, come clean. Right. But besides that, like the only time he shows compassion for his partner, rather, I mean, he's abusively yelling at him in the beginning of the movie, just being like, right. fuck you, don't do this shit. Like, I'm going to get up and leave. Like, how yeah. dare you turn me in? You're compromising everything I've ever worked for. Like, I mean, he's he's not good with his partner. No, so not at all. He, like, finally, like when he finally dies, he's like, I mean, I didn't mean to do this, but it's not going to affect him. Yeah. He he cares more about his own his own. His own butt. Future then. No butt. Yeah. Yeah. His own, yeah. Exactly. Oh. But you know, there is. I mean, I don't want to call it. Re- I guess it is kind of redemption. He ends up. He ends up basically saving Ellie. Like he kills Finch. I think. Well, they kill each other. Uh, both fire off uh, <laughs> shots at each other. One with a shotgun. The other one with pistol. And uh, Robin Williams quickly dies. And then, like you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, Ellie tells him like showcasing. She's like, just throw it away because she's like, you know, you may not do this an accident but i know it was an accident and no one has to know and he stops her from doing that because he doesn't want her to basically become like him because she's still one of the mm-hmm. good ones so far uh, oh i've had friends say it's a little bit of a cheesy ending but i think it's like kind of where you go with it like at that point like has to be some yeah. kind of redemption for him and then you want to kinda come out of it where you know she's not corrupted by yeah the stuff that she's seen too like yeah. but you want to believe that she would still be idealistic about the job and uh mm-hmm. even though she's seeing firsthand that you know it's not everyone is not a good cop or a detective like there are a lot of dirty ones too and even the one yeah. she admired the most is pretty dirty on top of that so but then it all that that comes the yeah they're dirty but for what reason he was trying to put some bad person away that might yeah, have think... gotten off because like so i think that she respected his sort of his drive to any costs he didn't mean to do anything of the things that he did but she shouldn't have looked past murder of his part of his True. partner like, i think she was she was very quick to forgive him like 
It was okay. Yeah, yo, it, it is true because I, I think there's like, like a five. Like, I think there's like a five minute, maybe not even five minute between the whole like. like How dare you, you killed it? How dare you? She's like, I know you didn't mean to do it. Like no one has to know. <laughs> there is like, like in, in between, yeah. Uh, and you know, and like in in true poetic fashion, he's just he's like, no, like help is coming, and he's like, no, just let yeah. me sleep. And that's all he's wanted to do this entire movie yeah. is just fucking go to sleep and. I know it might be cheesy to some, but I think it's kind of nice that it ends on that note. Like, I don't know how else you end it. It's not really. I mean, if it was accompanied by like some serious, like, like the music doesn't swell, like, swell, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no like big swell at the end where it's like, just like, leave me how sleep. His chest then I would like, say, yeah. then I would say that was fucking stupid, but I it, thought it, it was, it, it was, it, it's not like, it's not like, like, enough it's, not like it's like it's his tongue of, comes out where he's like, <laughs> like, it's not like that. Yeah, it's. I think it's well a well it, done it was, ending though. Yeah, it, it was. It was enough. It was enough. Just, yeah. just in, like very casual, colloquial. Take that. Yeah. Other than like, yeah. name the name of the movie Insomnia. Like I'm finally going. To, yeah, <laughs> no, I don't need. Yeah. Uh, so, um, before we get to some facts about the movie and how the movie did when it came out, uh, I do. I mean, I know we kind of touched on it with the Nolan stuff. You know, after watching this, I know you said earlier it felt like. This felt very early Christopher Nolan. Uh, oh. So in the grand scheme of things, though, do you think that it stands up with the rest of his filmography? Or does it feel like he's still kind of finding his way as a filmmaker uh, compared to his other films? And like, in mind, too, like the scope of something like this is different from like Inception or Interstellar. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that it uh, definitely feels early Christopher Nolan. Uh, and also see where he gets his cinema photography and his vision from uh, yeah. the like the especially the opening shots of um oh, the, the establishing the shots of like kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like that that is just classic christopher nolan it seems like uh, i think he gravitated away towards or away from some of the very quick cut like chase scenes yeah. uh, they're clambering over rocks you know to try and like chase after someone yeah. um it's i think he has definitely gone away from that, thank God, because that is a, it's a hard thing for as, as a viewer to watch. Like, 65, 70-year-old man clambering over rocks in 100 takes. Like, it, yeah. it, it just doesn't look... It is, it's, it's very... It's really hard to watch. Uh, so I'm glad he got away from that in terms of his action style, but um, I really do think the visuals and... The way that the story is told with some sort of hook at the end. Um, yeah, Christopher Nolan just co constantly making good content. Yeah, I mean, I he's a brilliant filmmaker. Uh, what I was most taken away with with watching this is I don't feel like there's many signs that he will go on to do like a Batman Begins or these bigger movies when you're watching this. Um, but I mean, it's still refreshing that he got to that point. It is like interesting to see, like you know, what did like Warner Brothers see in him? Where they were like, oh, like this guy can mm -hmm. handle like an even bigger budget and an even bigger scope for like some of these future movies. Because Insomnia starts his relationship with Warner Brothers up until Tenet, uh, Oppenheimer he's, he's doing with Universal, and that's all because of the whole like HBO Max hybrid theatrical releasing. He didn't agree with that, so he took his movies elsewhere now. But it began his long relationship with Warner Brothers, and he made some big movies for them. But you know. I'm just like, I'm wondering what they saw in like Minto and stuff yeah. like this, where they were like, you know, this guy can handle like an even bigger budget. And uh, 
even a bigger responsibility than this. I mean, I guess if you work, you can work with Pacino and Williams, you can handle like a big budget, <laughs> like anything else. If you can work with like actors like that, you can handle like a bigger production budget. Like, I mean, I guess we see it all the time too, where like there's a lot of indie filmmakers that have like one indie film and then you've seen it with some of the cases with some of the Marvel movies where they made one small movie and then Feige finds them and like suddenly they're doing like Captain Marvel or Spider-Man Homecoming. Mm -hmm. and they've never yeah. really done like a big movie before. But it is interesting to see like the early seeds of like at least some of his visuals that you kind of see in like his other movies too. Like he has always been a really good visual storyteller, I think. And you... Mm -hmm. You get a sense of that here. I think the cinematography in this movie is really good too. It's shot Fantastic. really well. It's something it's that really came out in two thousand two. And uh, yeah, it's it's um, it's hard for me to think that they saw this and immediately imagined a superhero film. Yeah, I think Nolan was in the sweet spot where, like, just in in general, people didn't really know what a superhero film was yet. Yeah, uh, that's when Dark Knight came out, and it's why DC has been so unsuccessful because they can't replicate that i mean they can't replicate something that came out like pretty much at equilibrium with iron man and failed after like they only made a couple movies like yeah. dark knight and batman begins was one of the best superhero movies that could have launched a very realistic superhuman and sort of uh, that kind of dynasty and in turn they just decided not to copy that they went from way yeah that's um, interesting yeah I, I really think that like he, he took it as like not having seen decades worth of superhero movies to basis and a groundbreaking on and a precedent yeah. like i'm gonna make it for myself and in a certain way and i think they saw that and uh yeah, yeah he, he hit the sweet spot so yeah i think so and i think what you see kind of in batman begins the dark knight dark knight rises just using those examples like Insomnia is just a pure psychological thriller. You look at those Batman movies, they are comic book movies, but they're grounded in this kind of like adult, adult thriller kind of like aesthetic where mm -hmm. it's, it are adult drama thrillers masquerading as comic book movies. And maybe yeah. that is, maybe, maybe that is what the, maybe that is what they wanted him to take from like, Hey, your earlier work, which is pretty grounded and pretty adult and, you know, not fantastical, like take that and apply it to, you know, Batman universe. And maybe that could have been mm -hmm. what they saw uh, in him. Cause you really do kind of see that. I think that's what the they took out of Matt Reeves when he, when he made the new Batman. I mean, I think that that's what they saw in him too. Yeah. They're like, give me your, your take, you know? Yeah. Uh, oh. And no one does a great job in, the, in this movie to, to just kind of show like, Hey, here's a cinematic version of um, this, this point in time. God, Alaska is a great place to put it. What, yeah, I mean, you get a lot of great visuals from that. I mean, uh, it was just visually beautiful. very beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and um, they not made, having a night is crazy. Right. And they made a good in the scene, like in the fog, like where, you know, he's chasing after and he, I mean, he shoots his friend. No one said what he was intrigued by with this movie is that he got to make a really dark thriller that was set primarily during the day. And how do you maintain the film's overall darkness as a plot when there's not a lot of darkness going on aesthetically in the movie. So the movie still mm -hmm. feels dark, even though it's taking place mostly in like total daylight. And I thought he accomplished that too. Like what he tried to set out in that regard. Yeah. I mean, crazy when you see uh, Chino doing like the um, hiding his own actions, like when he's shooting the dog, already oh, yeah. dead dog, ballistics. I mean, that, that could be in the morning, right. but it looks like it's at 11 and the afternoon <laughs> right exactly 
it's, it's so so the, that's that's a super weird way to to show how that character has still actually has no idea kind of like what's going on because he doesn't even know what time of day it is i mean as a yeah. viewer it's hard to tell yeah i agree um so i'm gonna say this i still i agree with nolan i think this is his most underrated movie of his filmography uh, i've heard a lot of people say the prestige i thought a lot of people loved that you no know, people consider the prestige underrated uh, but I think this one is because I I legit talk to other film people and they'll name his movies and they forget to name this one until you bring it up. And they're like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Like, that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they kind of forget about yeah. it. Um, so hopefully, you know, it has like a I mean, as, as he has a movie coming out this summer, like when you're going back to his filmography, maybe you want to rewatch his stuff like make this one of your choices, too, guys, just in case. Yeah, it's a good early start. Uh, I mean, Memento is like, I mean, a really good getting uh for him i mean it's a brilliant movie i i, I think this one deserves uh, some love too uh miss fans as mm-hmm. well i think yeah no i definitely agree uh, it's definitely one that you got to check out but i will say that i do like his later stuff more i think he's definitely that's fair. Th- there's a reason that he has progressed as a director i can tell he's gotten better because that this is a fantastically shot movie but his progression into what he's become now I can tell this was the uh, the jump start. Yeah. So definitely give definitely give this movie a shot because it is it is worth it to see. Um, first of all, I mean it's Pacino. You got to see some <laughs> Chino and uh, him stuttering through, uh, <laughs> through the stuff yeah. as he's uh, actually. No, by the way, the whole the whole main cast have have like last names. You could just say their last name, just like Pacino Williams Swake. <laughs> you just, like, yeah, you just do it yeah. like that yeah. they've got they've got that clout in the cast uh yeah uh, yeah, well, yeah we have we have you know there's gonna be some three polls that we're gonna throw up we're gonna i'm gonna throw up whether or not you think it was an accident that he shot his friend's partner we're gonna oh, okay, ask okay. We're, gonna, we're gonna ask you is this his most underrated movie and then we'll also ask you i know where this is going but we'll ask you if he's gotten better as a filmmaker uh since uh he and Samia. I know where that third one's going. I'm just gonna tell I, actually, I think we should do a, I think we should do a write-in where what do you think his like what um it, what his best movie like his most underrated movie is. Yes. See if this and see, and see how many people say insomnia. How many people say this one? Yeah. yeah. All right. Hey, we'll do that for sure. All right. When this movie came out on May 24th, it opened to a 92% on Ron Tomatoes with 200 reviews counted. And it says, driven by Pacino's performance, Insomnia is a smart and riveting psychological drama. The director of the Norwegian film was asked about Nolan's uh, reinterpretation of his work. And he said, it was quite close stylistically to the original. I felt lucky that it's such a well-crafted, smart film and that it had a really good director handling it because as a remake, I think it did really well and it doesn't hurt any original if a remake is well done. So I felt I was lucky that Christopher Nolan took it upon himself to do it. Oh, he also That's really high praise, it. man. That, that is high praise. Praise from that. That that's is, the highest praise you can get. That is high praise. Uh, I'll read my Ebert. movie and you did a good job. Like, you did a good job. <laughs> that's the way you can do it. Uh, Roger Ebert, the guy, the late Roger Ebert with two thumbs. Uh, our, boy. Uh, our boy, Roger Ebert. Uh, Al Pacino and Robin Williams have the best performance they've given in years when he saw it. And he said, unlike most remakes of Nolan Insomnia, it's not a pale retread, but a reexamination of the material, like a new production of a good play. And nice. some fun facts for you here. Uh, on the decision to cast Robin Williams as a villain, villain, even though he's known for his comedic roles, uh, 
one said, I think audiences will come away feeling like they have seen a new Robin Williams, seeing Robin Williams doing something they would never imagine that he would, would or could do. And he said, what I thought of Robin was he's an extraordinary guy to work with. And he really gave what I consider to be a flawless performance. I wound up watching the film hundreds of times as we cut it. And I never hit that point with the performance where you start to see the acting. Most performances at a point, bits start to peel off in a way. But with Robbins, he was very much in that character. Not that he's a very dark person to work with. He's very lively and friendly and amusing to work with. He really found something within himself. I think it's a very underrated bit of work on his part. Wow. That's also true. And then... No, it's a review from uh, Mr. Christopher Nolan. And it, oh, it feels weird to say the late Robin Williams has like, of his stuff is so timeless <laughs> and uh, definitely, you know, was a huge part of like a lot of us watching movies and yeah. mostly comedies, I think, but you know, like he kind of will throw a curveball at you like this, but like, oh yeah, I can really act guys. Like <laughs> this is also yeah. what I can do. So that's also really he cool. He had a lot of, he had just so much talent in him for any aspect of entertaining, whether or not yeah. it was comedy or drama or movies, TV. Uh, he did a great job just being yeah. like a, a, able to create a character that we believe in, whether or not it's believing that he killed somebody or believing that he was, uh, he's Mrs. Delphire. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, was just like, Delphire. Right, there we go. There you go, buddy. Yes. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. It says, uh, for Nolan told time magazine that he had to deal with leading actors with highly different approaches. Al Pacino insisted on meticulous preparation, serious talks about character motivation and lots of takes. Robin Williams preferred hardly any rehearsal, but many takes. And Hilary Swank wished to do just a few takes to stay completely focused. Nolan therefore let Pacino and Williams freely experiment and work things out together in order to get attuned to each other. And eventually they found the right balance with each other. That's kind of cool. That's about right though. (laughs) To me, it it sounds like it took fucking forever. Forever. Oh, it was. It oh, but it was. Forever. It was a three month shoot from April to June two thousand one. It doesn't seem like a movie that would take three months to shoot, but yeah. it did. Uh, of twenty twenty, this is the only directed by Christopher Nolan movie in which Nolan does not have an official writing credit, even though he did do work on the final draft of the screenplay. That's creepy. I can see that. Uh, Dormer's name comes from the French, Spanish, and Portuguese word dormir, which means to sleep. I guess that's obvious. <laughs> uh, you say it, it makes sense. <laughs> when I first heard it. Robin Williams speaks his first line 47 minutes into the movie, and he doesn't appear on screen until 61 minutes in. His character, Walter Finch, does appear earlier in the film, but is not identifiable and is possibly played by a stand-in. And I'm, that's during the whole fog uh, shootout. Mm. Yeah. Uh, during the shooting of the film, there was an avalanche near the set. Footage of it shot by director of photography, Oh, Wally Pfizer is included as an extra on the Blu-ray. I didn't need to. I didn't, okay, <laughs> I'll check that out. The Blu-ray. Uh, I have it on Blu-ray. Yeah, physical copy. Nice. Boom. Uh, nice. Insomnia from 2002, Dunkirk from 2017, Tenet from 2020, and the following and following from 1998 are the only movies directed by Christopher Nolan that are not listed in IMDb's top 250 as of 2021. His other seven movies are among the best 250 movies ever made as voted by IMDb users. Wow. I'll, uh, I'll take that. Harrison, <laughs> if I was saying, I'd, I'd take that. <laughs> Harrison Ford was considered for the role of Will Dormer. I can't see. Oh, yeah, actually, gruff Harrison Ford. I can see doing it. But Pacino's perfectly cast in it. Um, oh, as of 2019, this, is, this might be different. I have to look into it. This is Christopher Nolan's last R-rated film. All films he has directed since have been rated PG-13. 
I this, don't know why this are. It should have been PG. It's not really that violent either. Like no, there's cur- there's cursing and stuff, I guess, but it's not. There wasn't a ton of it. Yeah. Yeah, this Christopher Nolan's... I'm shocked it was R. Yeah. Somnia is Nolan's only modern film post-2000 not nominated for any major awards. Wow. Did not know that either. Hmm. And... Oh, That's Christopher... saying something, though. That That's is saying something. Not... And by the way, this movie's Every not in the top. he's made has been nominated so for some, some kind of award. What? And, and not to say... Dude, like, that is insane. That is insane. And this movie is not in the top 250 on IMDb, but it still has a pretty solid for his underrated work, 7.2 out of 10 on that Dude, site. So that's still every good. movie he's made has had some sort of award been nominated for. That's crazy. That is no, that's, that's, that's got to be some record. That's got to be a record. Is, I mean, wait. Tarantino, baby. Tarantino. Yeah, I wonder about Spielberg. Spielberg? Well, I don't know. I no, mean, yeah, they've made some stuff. stuff that not. Yeah, you're right. Dude, Nolan, I mean, it's the only movie that's not been awarded something. Holy fucking shit. That's crazy. That's uh, crazy. Jonathan Demme, who directed, the late Jonathan Demme, who directed The Science of the Lambs, was once considered to direct this. Oh. And here's a good one. Al Pacino suffers from chronic insomnia, so it's ideal casting for the cop who was unable to sleep. He's like, I got you. I know how to act. I got uh, And... Uh, some more explicit or dark details were changed from the original Norwegian film, such as the dead dog Dorber shoots in this film is alive in the original. Dorber does some reckless driving to scare the dead girl's friend. In the original, he grabs her between the legs. Dormer and the hotel clerk share their thoughts a lot in the film. In the original, they flirt a lot and he almost rapes her. The extremely downbeat ending in the original has also been changed. So the thing that's the most fucked up is like, that's probably more realistic. No, I mean, American, so America, America, American, American audiences would not okay Americans with that. Just like <laughs> I can't see that. They're like, that, yeah, it's too fucked up. That would definitely be an R rating. <laughs> like that would, that would, that would yeah. Uh, and and then if you thought they should go this way, according to the original script, Dormer was originally supposed to survive at the end and be helped away from the lake house by Ellie. This ending was filmed, but cut as the film's conclusion was ultimately changed. Do you think the ending it has now is best, or should they have gone? That I'm glad way. he died. He needed to sleep. <laughs> he didn't need to sleep. He needed he needed some rest. <laughs> he needed some rest. Eternal rest. Eternal rest. All right, guys, we were at the uh, question point of the show. Uh, by the way, I hope you are uh, one. You, it sounds like you enjoyed Insomnia, so I. I good. did. I did. Yeah. So, you know, final thoughts. My, my last filler choice was like problematic, and this one is better than no, Mr. Brooks. No. <laughs> <laughs> so um no i final thoughts um this was a good movie man, man. this is a good choice uh for nolan obviously just has some insanely well done cinematography um it's it's funny i, I will say i tell if he didn't help with the script i think the script is um, fantastic uh going back to the writers guild uh, i will say <laughs> they did a great job <laughs> they did a great job uh pacino's performance of his delirium and unexpectedness robin williams coming in with a dramatic role I, 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 I in, just, <laughs> 61 minutes in, don't watch the trailer don't watch the trailer for this because it's so early 2000s and it makes it look <laughs> hilariously ridiculous so just just don't watch the trailer for this but it is 
just fantastic. And um, if you don't mind watching a funny action scene of two <laughs> 60-year-olds running after each other for about, I don't know, five to eight minutes, then, uh, yeah, give this, <laughs> check this out. It's fantastic. Oh, man. You know, the psychological part of the movie is great. It's shot well. Maybe we should have done without, like, a scene between... A chase scene. We don't need a chase scene. A chase scene. But well, it's interesting what you said about uh, you can tell that Chris Nolan, even though he did work on the final draft, you can tell when like something is not part of their like normal aesthetic. Really, like you could, like with Jackie Brown, you can tell that Quentin Tarantino that wasn't his original idea. It was based on the book compared to like his other mm-hmm. stuff. You can tell when it's not like fully theirs. So I think that everything post this, like Nolan, it's been his like stamp approval. Like every movie he's made after Insomnia, you can kind of mm-hmm. tell like the difference a little bit. But yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, still enjoyed it. I think it still holds up. You know, this. I think around this period is when these thrillers were kind of about to die off a little bit. So this is kind of like the tail end of movies still doing well. I think this is like the same year as like Red Dragon as well. Uh, also a really good thriller. Uh, but yeah, this is kind of like almost the end of the era for these kind of movies because they, the mid, late 90s, early 2000s was when these movies like really hit. And then they kind of went away a little bit after this. It's probably there's just too many of them. Oversaturate the market a little bit. Uh, but a, and it, it's a, it is, I mean, I, I picked Prisoners as my first movie, which is a psychological thriller about murder. So it's like, uh-huh. I, I think that it continues to be a genre that is popular, but also is very hard to get right. It's yeah. really difficult to define the right dynamic of do I believe the characters? Is this a realistic scenario? Um, how unrealistic is it to be interesting? It necessarily just be like a murder. It's got to be something good, uh, which is why the dynamic between and like the leverage conversation between Robin Williams and Chino is there, and that that's why this movie is is, is good because the story's actually got some levity to it rather than having just like oh someone's dead, someone's trying to find the killer. Sick, let's yeah. go after him. There's some, yeah, there's like, yeah, there's almost like there's there's a few different movies, different movies, layers going on at once. It's not just like a cop going after a serial killer. There's like a lot of different stories going on within the main story that kind of makes it interesting. And like you said, you you get something like Prisoners like years later. I think it just comes down to like good writing and good acting, good directing. And then a movie like that Mm -hmm. can't really take off. Uh, But yeah, this was uh, one of the good ones. And I have your first question already because if we're going to deep not. dive movies you get to deep dive with us uh, oh, guys it's the point reviews by jt on twitter owen have you ever walked out of a movie because it was so bad i'm assuming that's what that means <laughs> wow. um i and truthfully say by the book i have never <laughs> walked out of a movie i will I just go through I, it I will, <laughs> yeah no i will sit through it and also maybe a little pat on the back for myself i'm not gonna buy a ticket for something that i don't think i'm not gonna like i'd rather go see something that i even if i'm gonna go pay some money for it like i know i'm at least gonna sit through it Um, i'm not gonna necessarily take a chance that i might want to walk out so i'd rather see something that no matter what i'm gonna sit through it yep i know this wasn't my question but i've never done it either um and i've and i've sat through some hot garbage so (laughs) it's a I mean, once you're there, I feel like you're there. And you're you're welcome, by the way. <laughs> to all the directors out there, you're welcome. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I am shit. I feel, I feel bad I've saying seen that. It. <laughs> Say it because there's I always that hope, it. that little hope. Like, you'll get better. There's a uh, give me <laughs> a chance. Yeah, a chance. And at this time, I've already invested the time. I've already been there like 30, 45 minutes. Like, why am I going to leave out? I might as well get through it. So, I mean, I've never done that. I already hate my life. I might as well keep going. uh, Yeah, you know how much, I mean, I don't have to, well, I don't have to pay for movies anymore. But back when I had to pay for movies, uh, expensive. I mean, I guess you can, like, get your money back. I don't know how that works if you don't like something midway through. (laughs) I mean, if I worked, I used to work in a movie theater. If someone came to me. Like if someone came up to me at the end of the movie, they had just sat through all of it and said, I want my money back. It was terrible. I'd say you sat through all of it. So yeah, you paid for it. If you left 20 minutes in, here's your money, yeah. but you don't get to, you don't get to get your money back after watching the entire thing. <laughs> There's absolutely no way. That's true. All right. Uh, Andrew James on Twitter. This isn't so much a question, more of a suggestion for me. I know Owen's younger, so you should take this opportunity to show him more movies that we grew up with in the 90s as a deep dive. I would be really interested to see his uh, take on some of the films that we grew up with in our generation. That actually is it. I mean, thank you. That's awesome. That's interesting because I've, I've thought about that too. Like something that's very much like, oh, I grew up with this in like the 90s. Uh, I feel like you're like Jackson in the way though, where like that won't matter because he actually said that his friends got what the year was i think it's or 2000 they're like oh no <laughs> they won't watch it um but i don't know how you feel about uh movies from that particular era but maybe i'll pick one and see if it depends i mean tell you on it. I'll, I'll say that i'll say that there are some certain movies that it just feels very dated like you can just tell yeah. um, they're definitely it's a different way to see a movie um just based on like kind of like the narrative now so like seeing something like that, it's just like, it just feels different, very culturally different, wondering why it was popular, what the significance of it was. So yeah. that that's a very different dynamic, but um, it really depends on what the movie is. So I did, yeah. like we always say, you can pick whatever movie you want. So that's, that's true. It, it could this. be from like 1975. You're like, all right, cool. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I could pick some Charlie Chaplin bullshit. And guess what? You'd have to watch it. And we'd I'd be- have to watch it. Watch it. <laughs> oh, yeah. God. Maybe watch a silent film. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you just watch Rocky. So like, it's not like you're opposed to like watching older movies. Well, I didn't tell you if I liked it or not. <laughs> oh, well, ooh, ooh. <laughs> never mind. Dude, the scene where he's like hitting on the girl in the is creepy as fuck. His advances towards this girl are uh, Do you remember that? They're disturbing. Uh, well, we'll find out later on another how much he did not like Rocky. <laughs> oh, God, I wish you guys would see his face right now. He's like, <laughs> he's just about to make every every cinephile so upset. Um, all right. I know, that's fair, though. I mean, I mean, I like movies from the time I wasn't born. Like, I love movies from the 70s and early 80s and you know yeah i mean yeah i might i take that i'd be like yo this movie came out in 97 it was great when i was like young and you're gonna love it and we'll see how it goes see we'll see (laughs) we'll see all right that's that's a great question by the way that is a good good suggestion because i uh (laughs) i've noticed and this is not on purpose that we haven't really gone out the earliest film was one you chose and it was dogma from 99 we've in like the 2000s 2010s like with every pick that we've had it's a good year that's a good decade for movies and 
I think so. And like even with 99, there is an argument by a lot of people that says that 1999 is one of the best years for movies. You got like The Matrix, you got Fight Club, you got a Fight bunch Club. of classics in 1999. Uh, it's not on purpose, guys. It's just a matter of like, you know, there was a lot of good stuff coming out around this time. No, I'm not trying to like... That, that, was my, that was my decade when I fell in love with movies, so... So yeah, no hate at all. I mean, I love. I mean, we both haven't uh, ventured out too far from that period, so I think it works. Whatever, it's fine uh, for both of us. From at real lover R E E L, clarify. Uh, as you are approaching 100 episodes on your main show, and the spinoff is doing so well, what has been the most rewarding part about doing the podcast now? You want to go first? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll say is that the most rewarding part is. Just the the ability to talk about movies and do it with one of my best friends and do it for an extended period of time where you guys actually think that we might have something that, to contribute. <laughs> and enjoy listening to our points because, uh, and that's one of the best things is, is hearing the feedback from you guys and uh, making sure that we're, we're just continuing to do the stuff that you guys like to hear. Because this is, I mean, this is something that we would do on the side and talk about this without you listening. <laughs> so yeah, so it would be it would be great to it's just great to see that and and hear that you guys are responding to it. So thank you for listening. And uh, yeah, thanks for just like it just feels good to be able to talk about a movie um, and hot topics. I mean, today we talked about hot topics, too. So. Yeah is the whole point of the podcast that Gase and I created. So uh, we love to do it and we love to create stuff for you guys. And that is the most rewarding part as we uh, continue to just do what we love and see that it's working. Yeah, uh, I will just second that. Uh, I think you guys probably said it the best. Uh, I'll add to it, you know, I would have meet a lot of cool people doing it, like who have guested on the show and I probably would have never met them otherwise. So that part has been really cool to you. Everyone's just very supportive of each other's shows, and that part is really fun. Uh, it's also fun to do. It's positive to do. I look forward to doing it. And, you know, I can go back to, like, my buddy David I went to middle school with. Uh, he listens to the show. And when we were in middle school, we went, we went to write movies together, and we thought we were writing, like, the greatest things ever when we were that young. Of course we weren't. But, like, it was cool working on stuff with, like, your friends yeah and even 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 that young you're like yeah i want to like let's make a movie together and like let's see if we can get our, our friends to be in it and, like we want to be like little junior filmmakers and stuff like that and like yeah. it's cool now because i think a lot of people want to collaborate on things with their good friends and like have it be something that's fun to do and and i think that's the best thing about it so far is that like a really rewarding thing that i get to do with one of my close friends and it's a really fun thing that we enjoy doing i think we both sometimes talk to each other and it's like I still can't believe people about what we have to say. It still like yeah. surprises, surprises me. Uh, Man, <laughs> we have the most important stuff to say. Apparently, yeah. Paramount. That Paramount. Listen to our content. Yeah. Yeah, but no, that's the rewarding part. You get to do it with like one of your good friends, and it's like fun time. And uh, well, I mean, I've said it to him offline. It feels like a brand new show, really. Like both of them. Like it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like like I feel like I started over. But it definitely feels a bit more refreshing. It doesn't feel like we're approaching a hundred. Uh, I think there's like this rejuvenation kind of happened in the last few months that like made uh, the experience new all over again. That's been really exciting. Mm-hmm. As well, so, 100% agree. So, so yeah, like 
you know, it's, it's got to the point where like, yeah, we're having fun. And now we have to have these side conversations like, well, this is fun, but like, see something here. Like, yeah let's, let's let's like let's do let's uh get that going let's so, build on it yeah let's build yeah, on that exactly. and i look and also taking time doing it like it's not like hey like we don't have to rush anything like we're still enjoying doing it like let's just do it right and i think that mm-hmm. is been rewarding too and yeah and you know i'll throw jackson in the mix too we got to to know him and he's been like a huge part of oh new Dude, he's, part of the show too he's like he's, he's he's the killer really good so yeah no, nah, we're just having a good time, and you for listening to us just nerd out and talk about movies. Because this would be what you like with each other, uh, out the benefit yeah. of you guys listening to us. Maybe should, not. I wish we could have recorded when we were watching. I wish we could have recorded when we watched uh, Twenty One together, because oh, that God, was yeah. like, that was like a perfect <laughs> description of just how we talk, just on a regular While, basis. Yeah, like, it's like silence, and we're watching the scene, and then something will happen, and I'll burst out laughing and i'm like that was so fucking ridiculous like did you yeah. see that like, yeah we'll definitely, just kinda, like go from that definitely definitely saw it <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah man yeah, another another one finished episode 10 dude that's Properly number ended. 10 that's a big one that's a big one uh thank you guys for listening uh i'll let uh my buddy here sign us on out and just so you know of course uh week after next it will finally be owen's pick uh episode mm-hmm. 11 we'll, we'll see uh what he comes up with and we will remember to put up uh on social media his first five my first five to see uh if you what you guys think of uh our initial picks for our deep dive just a, a friendly uh petition amongst friends <laughs> to see like yeah. who who chose the better movies uh all good so, movies but, uh, yeah. the next the next uh, is going to be a very special day it be we're recording on my birthday or oh. next week it is going to be a very special episode uh so stay tuned for that one but just want to say guys thank you so much for listening to back to the blockbuster prevent events dives with owen gaze and uh, an insomnia today it's just been a great chance for us to uh catch up listen to some movies and just have a uh, great discussion for you guys uh you can listen to us anywhere you can find your podcasts Apple Music, Spotify, my new go-to is Good Pods. That's yeah. where we like to listen to it. Uh, and uh, they've been a great supporter of us. Playlist has been our biggest supporter. So thank you to Playlist for being a great contributor, letting us make our own content. And uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Also listen to us anytime you would like every week with the regular show uh, into Pop Culture News. And uh, we will be back soon with my pick. Stay your tuned. birthday. On your birthday. On birthday. On my birthday. Very special day. All right, guys. Peace out.